This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Let's go brand. I can draw now time, Matt Blaze. Wait, 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 not Ed. These other talk show hosts know that it's supposed to finish at the top of the hour, right? But then again, does anybody pimp slap anybody around here? No, no, they do anything they want. I'm going to eat up every extra minute I get to talk radio time. Unbelievable. It's all, you're supposed to finish at the top of the hour. Oh, well, you know, we got to play another song. My God, somehow we won't survive unless you play that song. Everybody's got their own agenda, right? This is us and we, not I and me. That's how you become number one, second, and none. And, you know, I'm noticing a little slippage, a little laziness around here, a few slackers, deadbeats, looking to cut corners. Look out. Slee was on patrol, radio patrol. By the way, I couldn't be any happier. Even though this city is in a miserable situation, I feel like Kurt Russell escaped from New York. I was given such good news right before the show. One of my enemies of all enemies is dead. And went straight to hell without an asbestos suit. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, uh, he was a priest, too. Reverend Louis Giganti, that's right. You see, I don't give priests any pardon. This was a double disgraziata. This man was evil as he ran cover for his brother, the head of the Genovese crime family, Louis the Chen Giganti. Did I say Louis? That's his name. Vinny. Hey, Vincenzo. And they bamboozled everybody, claimed, oh, oh, oh Vinny, uh, he's Meshuggah, he's Ubats, he's Titch. He'd walk around West Village, you know, near the Sullivan uh, Sullivan Street, the Triangle uh, Club, you know, social club, with Benny Eggs Mangano. I say, hey, Benny, uh, well, what are you up to? Oh, well, you know, you cross us here, we break your arm, we break your leg. This way you walk around with a cast for three, four months. They know, hey, it's better than killing you. Because then everybody knows who broke your arm, who broke your leg. I said, that makes a lot of sense. And for your victim, it's a hell of a lot better than being room temperature. He had that laugh like, <laughs> just make sure it ain't you, kid. Uh, but anyway, that corrupt priest dropped dead and went straight to hell without an asbestos suit. And you're saying, Curtis, you're taking this too far. Wasn't Louis Giganti, a former city councilman, two-turned South Bronx? Yes. Didn't he run for Congress and lose in a Democratic primary against Herman Badillo? Yes. Didn't he go to Cardinal Hayes like our beloved Bernard McGurk? He was a Hayesman? Yes. Wasn't he a all-star player at Georgetown University in basketball? You know, like Patrick Ewing was years later? Yes. But he's also a pedophile. That's right. There were pending charges. Little boys claiming that he uh, wanted to give them a private confessional in the box in the 60s and 70s. Yeah, pending charges. 
like the head of the Zulu Nation, Afrika Bambata. Yeah, pedophile. I dropped dime on him a long time ago. Anyway, boy, that made my day. Hey, Louie, good to see you go. And everybody's, oh, he's a priest. Oh, he's a priest. Evil Satan. Yeah, yeah, Ken. Oh, look, Ken's getting all nervous here. Like, all of a sudden, what do you think? Are you going to go to purgatory? You're not going to burn in hell? You're not going through the pearly gates in heaven. You're too stunard, man. You got a muscle between your ears. You can't define the difference between hell, purgatory, and heaven. Maybe we'll send Ken uh, to limbo, you know, all of a sudden the Catholic Church. Hey, whatever happened to those unbaptized babies? I was taught in first grade, right, I read the Baltimore Catechism, said they went to limbo. All of a sudden, they, oh, limbo, it's gone. Well, where'd the babies go? Don't worry about it. What do you mean, don't worry about it? What happened to limbo? Nah, nah, it's, it's gone. It's gone. Oh, you mean you created it and then you took it away, right? I thought this was from the words of Jesus. None of your business. Mind your own business. Yeah, yeah, mind my own business. I want to know where did limbo go. Anybody out there happen to know whatever happened to limbo? I mean, we were taught that, Baltimore Catechism. You remember as kids, Catholic school, unbaptized babies go to limbo because they didn't get baptized. So they can't go through the pearly gates and enter heaven. So there was a place called limbo right below heaven, right below right above purgatory, and then, man, you didn't want to go down there. That was a furnace. And that's where the priest, Louis Giganti, is right now. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I'm celebrating. Um, he's one of my many enemies. Yeah, yeah, one of my many enemies. Good, good, good. Hey, tough nuggets, you don't like it. What the hell? Is that? Oh, oh, certain things you can't say here. Well, obviously, you haven't listened to Curtis Lee on the radio. Almost anything goes. But I cannot figure out, this is a, I was at the Trattoria, great restaurant off Bell Boulevard in Bayside last time. Pump that up, please. The DJ was playing this song over and over. Yeah, it was a MAGA crowd, you know, a Trumper crowd. Republicans, they had just come from a rally to support Lee Zeldin's uh, bid to be governor. And they were celebrating the birthday of Vicky Palladino, who runs the most vibrant, the largest Republican club of any, from Buffalo to Brooklyn, the White Stone Republican Club. They had 400 people in the top floor, and they were jamming to this. You happen to know what song this is, Matt Blaze? Did this make your top 40 list on Spotify? Uh, well, what's the name of the song? I'm at, let's see if you're, you're politically astute when it comes to dance music. I believe this is the Let's Go Brandon Yes, anthem. yes, yes, yes. But dance style, right? So you can get up, and even people who are hardcore Democrats, progressive, liberals, ALC, all out crazy, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, leader of the Democratic Socialists of America, the Justice Warriors, or followers of Bernie the Altacaca Sanders, even they would be toe-tapping to this. You can't, you, you, you saw... Uh, AOC, right? They were screaming at her at a town hall meeting in Astoria. I know the people who did that. I gave my high five yesterday. Trattoria! Great job, Whitestone Republican Club. They're banging the peace drum, walking around. And she was toe-tapping up on the stage, remember? I thought that was pretty cool. Everybody, oh, how dare she do that? No, that was good, man. She got into the rhythm. She got into the beat. Because you see... Sometimes you like the music, you got to separate yourself from the politics, right? 
So if you happen to like Joe Biden or you happen to like Bernie the Altacaca Sanders and you say, yeah, but I know what the meaning of this is. No, no, it doesn't matter. It's got the beat. It's coming out of the woofers and the tweeters. And tell me you're not going to toe tap to this. This is the bomb. Let's go, Brandon. Yes. I mean, even Joe Biden lost on his stage. Should I go right? Should I go left? Where am I? Am I home in Scranton yet? You weren't born in Scranton, Joe. Oh, yes, I was. In fact, it was reincarnation. I was born a second time in Scranton. Did I ever tell you all that? Yep. When I was a little boy, my Uncle Joe said, you know something? You were born a second time. First time you were born, you were the baby Jesus in the manger. The three kings came to you and they said, in the future you will come back. And you will be Scranton Joe. And you will go on to become president of the most powerful nation in the world. The three kings determined that when they looked up at the Nina, the Pinta, the Santa, the Mer... Wait, that's Christopher Columbus. I'm conflating a little bit here. You know, it's, look, I'm 68. I'm starting to get up there. You know, little Joe Biden, little Fetterman action. What can I say? Look, you know, poor Fetterman, he had the stroke, right? But you know how many times I've been hitting the head? They get upset. Somebody in the NFL is concussed. They have two term concussed. What the hell is a concussed? You get hit with a pipe, a bat, a stick, you have a concussion, right? You get up, you hit your head a little bit, you say, I got it. Man, I did that about 28 times. I'm really paying the price for it now. Man, I would hate to see what, uh, uh, a CRT of my brain scan. No, CRT, that's critical race theory. <laughs> Hold on a second. I'm losing it here, ladies and gentlemen. But I got to take you to 12 tonight. And then the barrier is in place. Now many Carter from 12 to 1. And then um, that Mameluke Frank Morano from 1 to 5. And then the Animal Welfare Hour from 11 to 12. We'll give you an update on Jessica. Remember the woman who raised that Irish terrier as a little puppy? And that Irish terrier stood his ground in defense of her and gave his life against that crazy guy with the staff that the cops won't go after, Eric Adams doesn't care about, and the community is divided about? Well, I'm going to give you the update. She did a little vigilante action on Friday. She went a little Charles Bronson. She went a little death wish, and ooh, it was good. But I digress. You see, Matt Blaze, I have the McWhitey-Whitey crew of Frank Morano. I don't know what this is. Maybe special ed is on uh, Sunday nights. I got uh, Matt Blaze, who clearly is the fugitive with his many aliases. I got Muscle Brain Ken. Three out of five days he makes it to work. The other two days he gets lost in New Jersey. Once he goes over the bridge from East End into Phillipsburg, and then he ends up going towards Camden County. I don't know how that works out. So then we have to put on Lone Avery, our telephone talent coordinator, to the Frank Morano Show. And, oh, yeah, Alex, hours ago, who would have known this nebbishy, schlubby pisher of a guy turned into this death metal con head? Some of the most vile lyrics I have ever heard in my life. We must have played them. We back-scratched them. And, I mean, it was worse back-scratching than it was in real time guy's a freak and he is the um 
is a nighttime producer for Frank Morano, the biggest brown nose you'd ever want to know. He's got his schnoz so far up Frank Morano's tush. You would need a periscope to see where it is. Big story of the day. We have breaking news here. Breaking news here, Madeline. Breaking news. WABC. Actually, I already broke it at 3 o'clock. I was the first to break it. But, you know, so good, I'm going to do it twice. Because only now is the rest of the media catching up. For some strange reason. Let me equate this to baseball. I told you Yankees would lose last night. I told you, right? Even though Jerry Cole was on the mound, right? What did he go? Five, five plus innings, right? He's doing well. Had like seven strikeouts. He's our ace, right? Who comes out, gives him the hook, right? Aaron Burr. We're never. Aaron Burr. <laughs> Man, vice president of the United States, right? Ended up having that duel with Alexander Hamilton across in Weehawken. He got the best of him. Then he had to be on the land. They wanted to arrest him. Died a poor man on Richmond Road in a pauper's house at the end of his life. Yeah, notice he chose Staten Island to die in. People go to die in Staten Island. It's like the elephant's graveyard. But anyway, I digress. So for some strange reason, Lee Zeldin, who is doing extraordinarily well in the polls, in fact, he's trending up, which means the leader of the pack, Kathy Grindway of Holcomb, Two months ago, she was 20 points ahead. All right, so you say maybe it wasn't 20 points. Maybe the reality is about 10 points. But she was clearly ahead. And this crime issue has become her Achilles heel. The no bail, no cash bail issue and the crime issue has become her Achilles heel. She doesn't know how to handle it. And, in fact, if uh, Congressman Lee Zeldin rides the crime issue, the no cash bail issue, uh, into the governor's uh, executive office, and I hope he does, uh, he can thank Eric Adams, the swagger man, with no plan for doing that because, my God, look at the city, right? The media capital of the world. Oh, it's the it's your presumption that there's a crime problem. Yeah, 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 sure. Another mother tonight screaming at Eric Adams. You do your job. Look, they pushed my son in the tracks and murder will wake up. Do your freaking job. Uh, He's not at Club Zero Bond yet. The little birdies will tell me when he arrives. There. Normally it's about 12, 15, 12, 30 in the morning. Dominic Carter, his homeboy, will probably know for sure, but he won't tell. So for the life of me, I can't figure this out. Lee Zeldin originally wanted five debates. You knew he wasn't going to get five debates. So Kathy Crimewave Holcomb, her team, said one debate. And it's in our house, the House of New York One, right? Errol Lewis, God, might as well be chairman of the DNC, right? You know, Mr. New York One, Mr. CNN. Yeah, yeah. You got a real fair chance in an hour in the New York One debate, which is going to be at Pace College now on Tuesday night at 7 o'clock, competing with the other debate in Pennsylvania. Yeah, finally, Fetterman has uh, agreed to debate 7 o'clock against Oz. I don't know how he's going to do it. You know, maybe signs, hand signs, you know, I don't know. Maybe maybe he'll be... um, Right, sky riders, I, I have no idea. Most people are going to be paying attention to that, the Oz Fetterman, because they want to see if Fetterman can function or if he's going to Biden, do a Biden in the debate. Meantime, for us, the more important debate is clearly Zeldin uh, against Holcomb. Now, why did he agree to do a debate at the last minute 
when he was trending so well. The only thing that I can think is that his pollster, McLaughlin, who you often hear as one of the contributors to the 5 o'clock roundtable discussion of John Katsimatidis, Monday through Friday, he has all the newsmakers, and McLaughlin is the pollster. The McLaughlin must have done an internal poll that said, you're not getting 30% of the vote in New York City. And Lee Zeldin, who's doing extraordinarily well in other parts of the state, believe it or not, cannot win the governorship unless he gets more than 30% of the overall vote in New York City, the five boroughs, which is very difficult for a Republican to get. There are only 8% registered Republicans, 1% registered conservatives, a lot of unaffiliated and independents. And a lot of Democrats. So I'm betting that McLaughlin goes to Lee Zeldin and says, you need to do better in New York City. You're on the cusp of victory. But to guarantee that you go over 30 percent, you got to take her on on the network that is watched in many households in the five boroughs. And that's New York one. But he'll be debating two people. He'll be debating Kathy Crimewave Holcomb who will have to stand on a number of telephone books because, like Alan Ladd, like Tom Cruise, like um, so many individuals before who are shorty shorts, she must be elevated because Lee Zeldin is about my size, about 6'1". And Kathy Holcomb, I don't even think it's five feet, man. She's like a shrimp. And historically, if you are short, you're not the choice. Believe it or not, people, they go for the guys who are tall. Look, comrade Bill de Blasio, the part-time mayor of the dope from Park Slope, when he was in the debate against Joe Loda and then uh, the uh, congresswoman now who's battling Max Rose, although she'll get in, Nicole Maliotakis, he was much taller than his opponents. And people say, oh, he looks like a mayor. You know, John Lindsay was taller than everybody else. And you have to have hair. You have to have hair. And Bill de Blasio had that uh, grayish hair, right? No more. He's got brown hair. He was walking around Park Slope looking for a Nicola dime bag on the corner of 7th Avenue and 11th Street from the Rastafarian, who's generally there with the Jiffy Pop hat. Uh, I guess the Rastafarian had other things to do. And there was Bill de Blasio saying, hey, you know, I can get a Nicola dime bag. They said, yeah, yeah, there are all kinds of pop-up smoke shops all over the place now. What's wrong with you? Where have you been? And he had brown hair. You, you don't think, oh, my God, from the bottle, the brown hair? Yeah. It was so, it's going to turn orange. He's going he's gonna to look like Donald Trump's hair. He doesn't realize. He did the rinse, you know, with the brown in the sink. He's going to end up turning l'orange like Donald Trump. Guarantee, when you're a cheapskate and you try to do it yourself and you don't go to a professional beautician, a colorist, like my Aunt Mary used to be, and Mary was the colorist. It was a Friday night, right before Saturday. All the Jewish women had to get their hair done up. They had to get dolled up. And back then, there was no computers to match up the Clairol colors. So she had to go to a shop in Bensonhurst to get the colors matched up. Do you know who used to be the colorist with a degree from Claro, Sammy the Bull Gravano. As my Aunt Mary said, he had quite a career as a colorist. Why did he have to go out and kill people? He was the best in the business. I kid you not. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. 
Explain to me why Lee Zeldin has agreed to debate Kathy Hochul when he was sprinting ahead of her. Why would he agree? This is the uh, equivalent here, Matt Pillar-Blaze, the theater of the mind. Try to imagine this. Walking uh, into a cage of hungry Doberman pinchers with pork chop pants on. You got Kathy Hochul, who's going to be prepared, one-hour debate. You got Errol Lewis, who is not going to be fair and square. And you got Lee Zeldin, who did not do well in his three debates, in the Republican debates. Remember how he lost his cool against Harry Wilson. All you had to do was say, Harry Wilson, and say, what? Where's Harry? No, no, the debate hasn't started yet. <laughs> he went crazy three times. Because Harry Wilson was dropping millions on his head. And Rob Astorino was sticking him. And then, of course, it was Andrew Giuliani. Hey, he wasn't really yelling at Andrew, but, man, he lost his cool with Harry Wilson and Rob Astorino. All you had to do is say, Harry Wilson was just seen leaving the bathroom. Lee. Where? Where? I'll get that guy. If it's the last thing I do. Calm down. So because I'm a friend of Lee Zeldin now, I'm supporting him to save the state. I want to be like his cut man in the corner. You know, I want to give him liquid Prozac right before the debate to mellow him out. The last time somebody ran for the U.S. Senate from the congressional district number one, his same district, it was Rick Lazio, a.k.a. Rick Lazio, who had a substitute for Rudy Giuliani or Cumbadicich because it would have been a classic political heavyweight battle. Hillary in one corner against Rudy to replace Daniel Patrick Moynihan. And remember what Rick Lazio did, right? He lost it. He walks across on the stage to Hillary. Here, here, take these papers. Dead. Dead on arrival. You can't argue with a woman in a debate. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. WABC. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust, or is it... <clears throat> a real POS. You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. He knows New York. He is New York. Cred that the others don't have. Curtis Lewa, Talk Radio 77, WABC. I'm on tonight, you know my hips don't lie. And I said, hips, hips, hips. And let's go. Real slow. To see the listeners. It's all in the hips. They know I'm on tonight, my hips don't lie. And I said, hips, hips, hips. The attraction, the tension. To see the hips, hips, hips. Boy, I can see your body move. It's all in the hips. I am completely open. You know, I'm a nightlife mayor, and I like to test the product. Yeah, we know. Constant pivot and shift to find a the right solution to this humanitarian crisis. Now, usually I don't do this, but uh, I'm going to hit you all with a little preview of the remix. They can say what they want. Pivot and shift, part two. When you get a question, what do you do? First you pivot, then you shift. First you pivot, then you shift. Hey. We're New Yorkers, and this is what we do. Don't try to script me. This is what we do. This is what we do. Oh, first you pivot, then you shift. 
This is what we do. This is what we do. We're going to have to continue to pivot and shift. One, two, three. One, two, three. One, two, three. Uh, first you pivot, then you shift. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, all you crackers out there laughing at you. Remember the beginning of the week? It was your perception uh, that there was a crime problem, perception that all of a sudden a crime crisis. He had a call, uh, sit down, a meeting on Saturday at Gracie Mansion. So he summoned everybody in from the criminal justice system, a lot of slackers, a lot of deadbeats, a lot of Norduels. But they were restricted from talking about no cash bail. No, nope, can't talk about that. Well, isn't that the root cause? No. So it's sort of like you have a cavity, right? It's now abscessed your tooth, and all of a sudden Eric Adams uh, shows up, and he's telling you how to properly brush your teeth. It doesn't work. It's too late. The damage done. So everybody coming out, they met Saturday from 9 in the morning to 12 noon, and they had a big complaint. You know what the big complaint was? All the food was vegan, and there was no coffee, no tea, no caffeine. You imagine you're having a conference for three hours, boring speakers. People are nodding off, you know, they're passing out. You got to have caffeine. You got to have coffee, tea. You got to have eggs, you know, real food. They had vegan food. Nobody ate any of the food. Yeah, that that really worked, right? God, he is. Man, he is really. Everything he talks about implodes. It really does implode. And then the other day he's in Times Square. He's having a press conference talking about the no-gun policy, whether you're strapped with an illegal handgun or strapped with a legal carry permit. Doesn't matter. It's a no-gun zone. And then all of a sudden his schnoz picked up something we all pick up in this city. One thing for sure, one law that was passed is clearly being practiced right now because I smell some weed. Someone is smoking. (laughs) Someone is smoking. (laughs) Getting a little too happy there. A little too happy. Like puff puff fast. Like, man, someone's smoking some weed. Where can I uh, get a hit? Eric, Eric, you got to really travel the city. It's everywhere. It's a purple haze. It's a plume over this whole city. You smell it as you walk into stores because people stand right in the foyer of buildings or stores. They smoke it there. They smoke it in the streets. They smoke it in the subway. It's like chimneys full of reefer, reefer smoke, right? There's no reefer madness. It's reefer everywhere. You get a contact high just walking around. And all of a sudden, I don't think he's aware because he's actually said there will be no enforcement against people selling weed because you can possess weed. I know you're shocked, Ken. Ken is shocked here. Wow. I can possess weed. Yes. It is now in the state of New York. It is legal for the recreational use of marijuana. But you can't buy it. Now, try to figure that one out. You can possess it, but you can't buy it. Now, how the hell do you have it? You know, is it like a Chia Pet? You get a Chia Pet, you bring it home, clap on, clap off, and the reefer grows, you know, homegrown. Are you permitted to have hydroponics? No. You know, you can't light up with Con Edison. Your bills will be extraordinary, especially the rate of electricity now. So 
it's legal to possess recreational use of marijuana, but you can't buy it. You can't sell it. Yet you look at all these weed trucks, these weed stores, pop-ups, all these empty stores have now become weed stores. And the city of New York is telling them, you know, this is illegal. We're going to crack down on you. We're going to send the sheriff. The sheriff in what? The little elves? you got to be kidding. There's hundreds of these illegal weed shops. And they're selling weed and ancillary products hand over fist. And all of a sudden, the city of New York is saying, you know, one day when we finally get our act together and we license these businesses, you will never apply nor get a license. Well, guess what? They know that already because they're not friends of Eric Adams or friends of Kathy Crime Wave Hoko or, if Zeldin beats her, friends of Lee Zeldin. They understand it's all about the politics. So, man, they're selling as much reefer as they can now. And I mean the stink. Can I hear Eric Adams again? This is while doing a press conference in Times Square. You know, the naked cowboy has just played his guitar. The naked cowgirl, God, you don't want to look at her. The nudistas have run by, these are the women who have no clothes on, who've painted their breasts, their mammary glands, red and blue. And they're illegal aliens from Passaic. And then the cartoon characters and the superheroes. And what's the one thing that Eric Adams and Schnoz picks up? One thing for sure, one law that was passed is clearly being practiced right now because I smell some weed. Someone is smoking. <laughs> Someone is smoking. <laughs> Man, he's looking around like he wants to fall fast. But anyway, these pop-up shops, I've been into a few of them, and the way they try to operate around the law because no one is permitted to sell, Marijuana for the recreational use. You can possess it. You can't sell it. They sell memberships to clubs or they gift the marijuana to a customer that purchased another item. So, for instance, um, if you hipster Matt Blaze uh, decided in your own hipster way you were going to buy the book Catcher in the Rye, right? You know, all hipsters and millennials, especially girls. They're always reading Catcher in the Rye. I don't know what it is about Catcher in the Rye, but it seems that hipsters and millennials have a proclivity to read it. You buy Catcher in the Rye, and they give you the reef for free, the nickel and dime bag. See, that's the way they get around the law. But the city of New York says that these activities violate the law. Any reef for sales are illegal, even if gifted, or it comes with a membership. And actually, everybody out there is saying, well, what are you going to do about it? <laughs> We're open 24-7. Oh, they got a sheriff and seven elves. One sheriff and seven elves running around. You can't do that. We're warning you now. We're going to write you up. The next time we come back, we're going to padlock you, and we're going to take all of your stuff. And those deputy sheriffs, they look like they're a little stone. They all have those sunglasses on. I don't know if when they seize the product, they're actually using the product. But sheriffs are not law enforcement. People don't understand that. Sheriffs outside of New York City, they're elected. They're law enforcement. They run the prisons. They escort the prisoners. Sometimes they have patrol duties. Sometimes they're involved in the court system providing security. Those are real sheriffs. The sheriffs we have in New York City, they're bill collectors. That's it. Glorified bill collectors. They walk around with a uniform. They look like cops. They try to act like cops. But they're not cops. They're basically, they write tickets. 
you might as well have a meter maid show up, right? One of these little Bangladeshi women who are like four foot eight from Dhaka. Yeah, they're all from Bangladesh, if you notice. And they'll scream out, you Bengali, you Bengali, I told you to move that car. Nobody knows what's going on. I know what's going on. I said, oh, you're going to start a riot here. What are you calling that cab driver a Bengali? You Bengali dog. And I'm breaking up a, a dispute. Here's one woman from Dhaka, Bangladesh. She is the meter maid. And then you got the cab driver. He's also from Bangladesh. And she's calling him a Bengali dog. Everybody else is looking like, are they talking a different language? I said, no, no. It's their street language. I get it. I get it. I'll calm them down. You video it live at five, right? <laughs> That's all you men are you, you're good for now is videoing it. You never do interventions. You never break anything up. You never come to the aid of victims. All you do is you whip out your cell phone, smartphone, your iPhone, your burner phone. Yeah, you never told your wife you had a burner phone to communicate with your gumata, did you? And you film it so it'll be live at five. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. And then lastly, on the weed front, get this. Weed will be sold at U.S. gas stations in 2023. 2023, you will be able to purchase weed at gas stations. So you gas up, and then you get gassed. Now, it would suggest to me that just like... If you sold beer at a gas station, which they do, that that leads to drunken driving. You're selling weed at a gas station after you just filled up with gas, and pretty soon you won't even have to do that in California. Remember, California is the number one pothead state in the nation. Florida is number two. Pretty soon the potheads, remember Cheech and Chong in that vehicle at the border? Remember when they get stopped by the cops? And they open up the window and a plume comes out. No more. No more gas guzzling. It's going to be electric cars. Cheech and Chong will be in an electric car in California soon. But they'll be able to score their weed in gas stations. Now, I don't know about you, but that's a little problematic to me because they don't have a test yet to find out if you're impaired while you're driving under the influence of weed. They can tell that with alcohol many different ways. But they don't have a test for reefer. So here it is. I can just imagine. New Jersey, where they, where the guy comes out with the schmata on his head. He's got to pump the gas. No, I want to pump the gas. This is Jersey. Uh, Gunga Din is going to pump your gas here. Now move out of the way. <laughs> Gunga Din is pumping your gas. You cannot pump your own gas. But I really, no. So you go in to pay the bill because you don't trust Gunga Din here. You know, he's like, he's looking at the credit card like, looks like he's memorizing your numbers on the credit card. Like, I don't trust this guy. So you go into the store, and it's a convenience store. And you notice they don't often have many products. They got beer in the freezer case, and they'll have pot right there, right where the cash register is. So you'll go out, you'll light up a joint. <laughs> You'll look around, you'll say, hmm, that's good stuff, man. Really, it got to my head. And you'll get behind the wheel after you also had a big boy. Now, tell me you won't be impaired behind the wheel. Now, if the cops stop you, they can test you for the booze. You know, you got to walk the line, touch your nose, touch your genitals, touch your ankles. Okay, they know how to do that. 
But what are they going to do? There's no Cheech and Chong test. You could have red eyes. You could look like a space cadet. You could be wearing dark shades, you know, and they know you've been smoking. They can smell it on you. They can smell the sense of on you. Can't touch it. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. UABC. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Check this out. No one knows New York better. The founder of the Guardian Angels, Curtis Lewa. And you can't compete against that. On 77 WABC. She talks about her celly, the telephone, iPhone, smartphone, burner phone, Motorola burner phone for all you guys who have humadas. Or you remember members of Al-Qaeda or ISIS or your narco-terrorists or your Russian spies. You know, got to get that monthly, uh, got to get that burner phone, right? Point is that the mayor went on and on and on about how it's just a perception of crime, you're really safe. There's only six felonies every day in a system that transports a little more than three million people, right? He was like, said you should dance the horror, the tarantella, you should celebrate, you know, celebrate that there's only six felonies. Well, he had to do a pivot and shift real quick on that because he caught so much grief. In fact, another mother was screaming at him the top of her lungs, her son, a 32-year-old waiter, was waiting for a train on Friday, L-Train, in the land of hipsters and millennials, Myrtle and Wyckoff, where Ridgewood, Queens, kisses Bushwick, Brooklyn. I mean, that is a big enclave for hipsters and millennials. And it's become an improved area. It used to be a real hot spot for criminal activity. I got to give the uh, hipsters and millennials credit. Not as much crime. Well, on Friday afternoon at 245, you saw that black guy pacing up and down. You've seen that video. It's gone viral. He had the uh, yellow schmata on and the black mask, and he's pacing up and down, and he's looking for victims. He's got a backpack on, and he finds the right Vic. 
He's got a V on his head. I am a victim. And he puts his backpack down, and then it's like he's a linebacker for the Jets or the Giants. He gives him a forearm shiver right to the back of the head. And the poor young man goes tumbling into the tracks. Luckily, the L train was not coming in the direction that he fell in the tracks, was, uh, which is towards 8th Avenue in Manhattan. So Good Samaritans helped him up, but boy, he took quite a beating. And actually, this guy got away. So uh, this woman is like railing. She's going off, screaming at the mayor, do your job. Weren't you a police officer? Sort of reminds you, remember when the uh, EMS uh, lieutenant was killed on Astoria 21st and 40th uh, a month ago, stabbed 20 times on the corner by that maniac? Remember how the uh, mayor went out to Comac, Long Island, to the wake of Allison Russo, that hero? And her mother gave the mayor hell, remember? She said, I thought you were a cop. Our city's destroyed. Do something. Do something. You said you were a cop. Do something. This is what he gets all the time from victims. This time he decided, "Mm, I'll call the mother up. Oh, my God. Ten minutes later, the woman was still screaming at him. Screaming at the top of her lungs. And rightfully so. Because the mayor has not delivered on his commitment. Safe city, safe streets, safe subways, safe parks, safe schools. He's been a uh, miserable failure for the first ten months. I think even some of his uh, prime supporters agree to that. And a lot of it is the vertical we go through. It's vertical because one minute he's telling us the subway is safe. It's all in our minds. It's media hype. Look at the analytics. He's like Aaron uh, Boone, the manager of the Yankees. Look at the analytics. Right? I, I, I gotta, I'm, I'm, I'm obsessed with this. We got Cole on the mound, the ace, right, last night. Right, It's five and a half innings, seven strikeouts. Okay, he ran into a little jam. Who comes out to yank him? Aaron Boone. We're never going to be able to get into a World Series and win a World Series as long as Aaron Boone is the manager. Even Cole, who's getting paid millions of dollars, said... What are you taking me out for? I'm your ace. I'm good to go. I got gas in my tank. No, you don't. The analytics say that it's time for you to go. (sighs) So with Eric Adams, swagger man with no plan, it's the same thing. One minute he tells us it's safe, it's secure, it's all hype. You know, don't believe the hype. And then all of a sudden he's appearing on Fox 5, Good Day uh, New York. Not with Roseanne Scott, who I think her substitute. And he's talking about how you gotta, you gotta put your phone away, you gotta take the headphones off, you gotta take the earbuds off because you might be targeted. It's hard to feel safe because when we look at the numbers, 22 people murdered on the subway in just two years, eight people this year. That's not perception. Those are just facts, and they matter to people riding the subway. I rode the subway yesterday, and it's the same thing. I haven't put my AirPods in for over a year because I feel like I need to be very much aware. That's quality of life issue. You 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 were right about you know not having your iPods in, not focusing on phone, and I say yes to that. I do the same, and we put out a a video and information telling people about being aware of what's around them and what's taking place. And I encourage New Yorkers to do that. Now, wait a second. Hold on a second. I got vertigo. One minute he's saying it's the perception of fear. Don't buy the hype. Don't don't get taken in by the media. That always leads if it bleeds, right? 
Then he's telling the woman at Fox 5, who's telling him, hey, I, I don't put my earbuds in. I don't look at my phone. Uh, um, yeah, that, that, we put out a video about that. You know, to hide your phone. Hide your earbuds. I mean, you understand people are like, whoa, which Eric Adams is it? Attention deficit disorder. Clearly, he is. You can tell a victim of attention deficit disorder, ADD. Now, there is a shortage of Adderall. The FDA has announced there's a shortage of Adderall. I am pretty sure that if we could get him a prescription of Adderall, it might straighten him out a bit so that he doesn't tell us we're safe and secure one minute and then tell us, strip all the valuables off of you like you're a carcass in the Mojave Desert and be afraid and wary of who's around you. I'd like to say, can I profile people? I mean, if I see an African-American guy who looks a little deranged, can I assume he might be a danger to me? No, that's racist. You're a racist if you do that. Yeah, but I'll be alive. You mean it's better not to be a racist and be dead? Because my intuitive nature said, look at that black guy. He's mumbling to himself. He's talking to himself. He's pulling out a samurai sword as if he's featured in Kill Bill, a Tarantino movie, right? Should I uh, profile him? Should I react? No. You know, in the Upper West Side and Park Slope, they'd say, you are reacting to a stereotype. Now, you must remain cool, calm, and collected. This is what the white racists want you to do. Profile this guy. Well, those who profile that guy are alive. Those who didn't, unfortunately, are room temperature. I mean, this is crazy. There's more. Wait, there's more. Don't go anywhere. There's more. The biggest problem that Eric Adams, the swagger man with no plan, has is he does not have a police commissioner. He does not have. Sewell is missing in action. She was not ready for prime time. I was the only one who said that from day one. Look at her resume. All she ever did was lead the detectives bureau in Nassau County. Oh, boy, that's a big job. What are they, like 44 guys and gals gold-breaking out there in Nassau? Let's see. What do they got? Hempstead. No, they don't got to patrol the dance. On Brentwood, Central, no, that's Suffolk. What they got to do? Oh, but she led the detectives division in Nassau County. So you go from that to the police commissioner of the largest police department, the most sophisticated police department in the nation? What? And she has been an abysmal failure. Last week... She decided for the first time she was going to take a ride on the subway. She was going to see, crawl into the belly of the beast. She was going to see what the strap hangers deal with. And with the transit police chief, who uh, should have retired 20 years ago, he is a man of no consequence. Man, he should have retired. She's standing there, and she's talking about how, yeah, we're going to buckle down. We're going to, we're going to wrestle with this. Okay. Uh, that was the location at 6... Black guys in ninja outfits, dressed all in black. Oh, yeah, there was enough that I could tell the melanin on their skin. So don't tell me I'm profiling, all right? Six of them. So they look like ninjas. They had hoodies on. They had masks. They had black shirts. They had black pants, black shoes. All looked the same. Took out a shiv, and they started stabbing this guy who was coming home from work. He almost bled out. Still haven't been arrested. They were waving at the cameras as they were leaving because they knew there's no photo recognition technology. We have it, but the mayor won't let the police department use it. So they're still on the lamp. So 
The police commissioner was going to prove that, yep, she's riding the soap. She rode it all at one stop from 53rd and Lex to 42nd and Grand Central. People were coming up to her. What are you doing about the crime? You're the police commissioner. What are you doing? She had so much as, I'm leaving. She went upstairs, and she Ubered her way out of there. Transit police chief said, we haven't finished the tour yet. I'm out of here. I don't need this. I could go back to Nassau County where I live. By the way, after you're police commissioner for six months, if you're not living in the city of New York, by contract, you have to move into the city. We're still waiting. I think she's afraid to move into the city. It's too dangerous. Got to replace the police commissioner because right now, she doesn't meet with the chiefs, the deputy chiefs, and one police plaza. She meets with one guy on Sundays, Phil Banks, who's the deputy mayor in charge of public safety. And it's on Sundays. And I hope, Matt Blaze, it is in church and not in a no-tell hotel Holiday Inn Express. He recruited her. I'm a little suspicious. First of all, the guy's a crook. The guy is an unindicted co-conspirator in a police corruption case. The only way he escaped it years ago was that he became a CI confidential informer, like they all do, right? And then he was chosen by Eric Adams. No vetting process, nothing, no press conference, and he has an office in the Verizon building. Why in the Verizon building overlooking the Brooklyn Bridge? A private office. Not in City Hall, not at one police plaza. And they keep coming in with the loot. You know how Biggie Smalls, it's all about the loot, the loot, the loot. They come in with the cash. Because they want contracts with the police department. You know, $5 for you, $5 for me. And the rest of the day, his police driver drives him around to ATM machines, and he launders the money. You know how you launder money in the streets, how drug dealers do it? They deposit money in one bank vestibule. They go to the same uh, bank vestibule, let's say Chase, in another, and then they withdraw. They deposit, they withdraw. They do this all over the city. That's how you do low-budget money laundering. And he did that years ago. No, 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 no. Why does he have a private office in the Verizon building? What does he need a private office for? Why is the mayor in that private office, huh? It's all about the loot. That's number one. If I were a consigliere to the mayor, I would say, look, you get a year and that's it. Sewell's got to go. You got to get rid of Phil Banks. He's a, uh, he's a hot mess, ready to uh, go out in chains and shackles. Yeah, you think you're going to the White House, Eric Adams? You'll be going to the outhouse with him. What you do is you sit down with Bill Bratton, who was always a friend of Eric Adams. Bill Bratton was one of his biggest supporters. Wouldn't give me the time of day during the campaign. Yeah, I can't talk to you, Curtis. Eric Adams, he's going to be law and order. Hey, notice Bratton ain't saying that no more. But he truly is a friend of Eric Adams over the years. And remember, he was here as transit police commissioner under David Dinkins. Did a relatively good job. And you remember my kumbada chief Rudy Giuliani brought him in as his first police commissioner. But he got a little too uh, <clears throat> full of himself. And Rudy said, guess what? I'm the police commissioner. You go. And he did. And he went out to L.A. and he had to readjust. Did an excellent job. I met him out there with the L.A. Guardian Angels. He told me, hey, you go here, you don't go here. He actually gave me some very good advice. You know who his uh, deputy police chief was at that time? Garçon, who is the um, district attorney of L.A. County now, who turns all criminals loose. I'd love to ask Brad, how the hell is he your deputy police commissioner? Anyway, I digress. And then when Bill de Blasio was elected in 2013, 
the fear was that he would not be able to handle the law and order, that that would be his weak point. And obviously, that was right. So he says, I'm going to hire Bill Bratton as he's doing Puff Puff Pass with Charlene at their home in Park Slope, 7th Avenue and 11th Street. Charlene goes, no, I want Phil Banks to be the police commissioner. He would be the second African-American police commissioner, second to Benjamin Ward, who had been appointed by Ed Koch. To his credit, Bill de Blasio stood up to his wife because, you know, he's his mitt. That's his, her maytag. So, no, we got to go with Bratton. People are saying that I can't manage uh, public safety and Bratton. Yeah, but Bratton was in charge of stopping Frisk. You know, he was the police commissioner before Kelly. And Bill Bratton sat down with Bill de Blasio, no friend of the cops. And he goes, look, I had to um, pivot and shift in L.A. when I became the police commissioner there. Uh, Tell me what I got to do to pivot and shift in order to fit your public safety directives. And Bill Bratton is a chameleon. He's a survivor. Look at all the places he's been. He's got a strong personality. But I think he will usurp that for the good of saving the NYPD. He is a cop's cop. Cops like him. They know he's got their back. When he first came in under Rudy Giuliani, I'll never forget, he went on a train. He threw a panhandler off the train physically. He went on the train. Remember, he had been the transit police commissioner uh, towards the end of David Dingus. He physically took the guy, threw him off the train. No more panhandlers. Then he walked into the dirty 30, 30th precinct. He said, I want all your stinking badges. While the cameras were there, yeah, 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 he's lenslice. Yeah, wait, look, I can't accuse him of that. I'm a bit of lenslice myself. Hard. He said, we'll break down doors. We'll kick ass and take names. Anyway, he came back with de Blasio, all of a sudden it's like he had granola. While out there in Los Angeles, you know, he was in the Sierra Madre Mountains. He must have been doing yoga because, yeah, we'll be more sensitive. We'll be more considerate. Uh, The buzzword, community policing. Yeah, right. And he did a great job. So my advice, not for Eric Adams. He called me a racist. He called me a misogynist, a sexist, a homophobe. Everything in the world. Hey, look, he said, it's all politics. But we got to save our city. And, man, your first year, you're worse than Bill de Blasio. You look at the analytics. Bill de Blasio, on his worst month, never had worse statistics then Eric Adams, a swagger man with no plan, because he thinks he's the police commissioner. He was a lousy cop. He was a house mouse. He always hid in the precinct. He doesn't know policing. Have a sit down with Bill Bratt and bring him back for a third time and let him know he and he alone will run the police department. And you will see this city will start getting back to a form of public safety that we can live with. York's talk station with the king of New York. Curtis Lewa, 77 WABC. Don't call it a comeback. Don't call it a comeback. It is a comeback. Two Queens guys, right? Wrong. LL Cool J was from Bayshore, Long Island. He had no Queens cred. They put up a statue to him in uh, Flushing Meadow Park on your way as you walk to the Unisphere. 
They got LL Cool J with his tango and a boombox there. It said, yo, King of Queens. Nah. Wait, they, they made that that sitcom about the King of Queens, right? He was a U, uh, UPS driver. If he were driving around Queens now, let's say he was going to Regal Park, Forest Hills, Baystone, Whitestone, College Point. You know, the king of uh, Queen in that UPS truck where he'd be wearing those brown shorts. Those porch pirates would be following him, stealing all the packages. And he'd be waving to them saying, hey, I delivered the packages. What more do you want me to do? Anyway, I digress. But the guy who was birthed in Queens is Andrew Evelice Como. King Como the second, the son of Mario Facha Brota Como. King Como the first. And he is on his comeback tour. He has given every signal to everybody out there that no vengeance on his mind. No, no, no. No blood feud. He's a new Andrew Ivelice Como. He understands he made some mistakes, but certainly involving a comeback. Now, sitting with a number of uh, experts... You have a focus group. He's sitting on $18 million. He can spend that money because it was supposed to be used for a gubernatorial campaign or potentially a presidential campaign. Remember, there were those months, the Democrats, uh, they were loving, loving Andrew Cuomo. You know, with the the nipple ring there, you know, he had the shirt. and Oh, man, the Cuomo girls, they were like, ooh, ooh, he's so sexy. That would be nipple ring. I mean, freak. But, oh, he was getting a lot of attention. Remember, he won an Emmy. Because once the lockdown and pandemic came in March of 2020, every day you had a new touch of the cafe. You would be scared. But Andrew Evil Ice Cuomo, 12 noon, right? Oh, wait. No novellas. No soap operas. It's Andrew. Oh, and, oh Andrew. They had flutters. He had the female vote because he had, remember, the laptop and the hard drive. And then he laid it out. What he was doing for all of you out of the goodness of his heart. Because he was a leader. By the way, he's written a number of books. All of them have bombed, including the last one. While in the midst of the pandemic and the lockdown, right? He made like $5 million. What did he sell? Like 55 books? But I digress. So he sat down with a variety of friends of Cuomo and um, people who are adversaries in the public relations field, and they said to Andrew Evilize Cuomo, you got to do something about this statement that you made in 2014. you got to clean it up. Are they these extreme conservatives who are right to life, a poor assault weapon, anti-gay? Is that who they are? Because if that's who they are, and if they are the extreme conservatives, they have no place in the state of New York. So this because that's not who New Yorkers are. They had to. He's got to get rid of that, they told him. He can't say that. Andrew, you already burnt your bridges. With Democratic moderates, with the uh, Democratic Socialists of America, with female Democrats, you can't be uh, chasing off the Republicans and conservatives and the independents. Can't do that. So he's agreed. He will no longer say that. And has not in the appearances that he has made. And notice, where has he gone for his comeback? Did he go to women's only radio? No. 
Did he go to AM New York? No. Did he go to the New York Post, Daily News, New York Times? No. Came right here to WABC. First with Cindy Adams. And then, more importantly, Friday, 5 o'clock, the roundtable discussion. A lot of the influences in New York State and beyond listen to John Katzmatidis and his many guests and contributors. And then, towards the end of the program, the ratings soared because Cuomo spoke about how to deal with the growing crime problem that is afflicting New York City. Uh, Mayor David Dinkins came in, uh, liberal mayor, beautiful fellow. What did he do? There was a crime problem. He went to the state. They did the Safe Streets, Safe City program. Hired like 6,000 new police officers. Increased the number of police officers on patrol by something like 50%, John. Uh, That was the answer. Putting more cops on the street. And by the way, Mayor Dinkins did it. You started to see crime come down, but it really had its full impact under Mayor Giuliani. And Mayor Giuliani, we give credit for cleaning up the city, and it did happen. Uh, he did make progress uh, under his administration. But Mayor Dinkins had started it by hiring more police I officers. remember that. We, me and you were there, and uh, we were all there, and uh, Judge Weinberg sitting in the uh, – uh, Judge Weinberg sitting here having a stroke. <laughs> Thank you, Judge. Judge Weinberg having a stroke, and rightfully so. I'll explain that to you. A lot of people heard that, and they said, gee, was he really having a stroke? Is he okay? Judge Weinberg, in addition to having served on the bench, all kinds of cases, civil and criminal, brilliant legal mind, was the uh, consigliere to Peter Vallone who was in charge of the city council at that time when David Dinkins was mayor. It was really Peter Vallone's idea from Astoria, who came together with that safe street, safe city. We're going to have a special tax so that we can hire six, excuse me, 6,000 additional police officers and train them. It costs $100,000 to put a police officer through the academy after properly vetting him or her. It's an expensive proposition. And he lobbied and he lobbied. Remember, Peter Vallone was a Democrat. Peter Vallone had run for governor against George Pataki later on. So Peter Vallone was a loyal, moderate Democrat, and he was a friend of David Dinkins. And he kept telling David Dinkins, you got to do it. you got to do it. It's the only way we can stop this crime crisis. So you can imagine, is Judge Weinberg being very respectful to Andrew Evilize Cuomo? But he wasn't telling the full story. He wasn't giving credit where credit is due. I know the story. Judge Weinberg knows the story. There are other New Yorkers who know the story. That it was really Peter Vallone, the dean of the Democrats in the city of New York, who at one time ran against Herman Badillo for Congress when the district was split between Queens, Astoria, and the Bronx, lost. Never complained, never said the uh, voting was fixed. By the way, later on, when I danced the Tarantella over the death of Reverend Gigante, the brother of Vinnie the Chin Gigante, he ran against Herman Batillo, too, for Congress and lost, thank God. But I digress. You see, I'm just off for toots. 
hated that guy, Reverend Chicante. Love Peter Bologna. Every day he goes to church. Every day. He saved the city. Dinkins helped, obviously. Dinkins signed up. But Dinkins was resistant to the idea. He was. Re- he did not want that at first. During the mayoral campaign, I took that idea from Peter Bologna and Judge Weinberg, and I applied it to the mayoral run against Eric Adams. I said, we need more police officers. We're at a very dangerous level now. We're down to 34,000. We are in really serious shape. 4,000 cops. Uh, have resigned, taken early retirement or retired under normal conditions in the last year. We've had only 2,000 cops go through the academy to replace them. At this rate, we're going to go below 30,000 in two years. You can't function in a city like that. That goes back to the Warriors, where Cyrus was on that uh, that little uh, rock talking to 40,000 gang members and saying there's only 28,000 cops we can take over the city. And they could have. So we got to give credit where credit is due. My plan, had I been lucky enough to have been mayor, would have been to have a special tax against NYU with a $4 billion endowment, Columbia $10 billion endowment, and make Jimmy Dolan pay property taxes for Madison Square Garden, which he hasn't since Ed Koch was mayor. Obviously, he didn't own Madison Square Garden then, another entity. But Ed Koch was afraid that they would move to the Meadowlands. I would have said, go ahead, move to the Meadowlands. How did that work out for the Nets? Where are they now? Brooklyn. The only thing you move to the Meadowlands are dead bodies of organized crime and garbage. Remember back then, that was the only thing that went to the Meadowlands. So he blinked first, and he gave Jimmy Dolan, owner of Madison Square Garden, the Nixon Rangers, a sweetheart deal not to pay any property taxes. So I would say, Jimmy... I hate you, I loathe you, I despise you. You've ruined the Knicks. And for that, you're going to pay your property tax, special property tax. Columbia, you're buying up all this property in Morningside Heights. You're taking it off the property tax rolls because you're saying, oh, we're a university, we don't pay taxes. Likewise, NYU, they own half of Greenwich Village now. And they've taken those those properties right off the tax rolls. Special tax, you'll be able to hire the cops and get back to 40000 Right? Makes sense. But was my idea. I pimped the ride of Peter Malone and Judge Weinberg. That's why Judge Weinberg said he was having a stroke. Notice Andrew Evilized Cuomo. You think if Judge Weinberg were actually having a stroke, imagine if Andrew Evilized Cuomo were in the control room here, do you think he would give him mouth-to-mouth resuscitation? Hell no. Hell no. He'd look uh, at one, one of the board operators and say, hey, go ahead, give him CPR first aid. Help the guy. Help the poor guy. Okay, so let's go on. He sat with Cindy Adams, right? You don't mess with Cindy Adams. She had written a column, a full page. I mean, she dropped napalm, written napalm on Eric Adams, the swagger man with no plan. And she had done it against Andrew Evilized Cuomo, and he recognized I got to get Cindy at least halfway medsy medsy. I can't afford her attacking me every week in the New York Post and on WABC on Sundays from 1 to 2. And so he had the first interview and his comeback with Cindy Adams. And she asked about, does he have any political friends? Every one of us has had problems. Did friends stand by you like the Biden, Pelosi, Obama, Schumer? What about political friends? Is there such a thing? Uh, political friends 
is an oxymoron to me. <laughs> there are no friends okay. in politics. Yeah. They have that, that expression uh, in Albany, which is – uh, historically been treacherous for politics. <laughs> I know, uh, I know. If you want a friend, uh, get a dog, which I did, by the way. Ah, you want to know a little backstory? When he decided to resign, he left behind the husky El Capitan at the executive mansion on Eagle Street. He actually left for the Hamptons. He stayed at his brother's house. He's still there, Fredo, Chris Cuomo. Uh, started to hit the mattresses, stir the marinara sauce, awaiting the release of his wartime consigliere, Joe Pococo, who just recently finished up a six-year bid for corruption, federal corruption. So at that point, he realized, oh, I left El Capitan back there, the Husky. You know what? I don't want the Husky. I'm, you know, it was just a prop. You know, for a lot of politicians, pets are props. So... Rob Cole, who is managing my campaign, hears this and tells me, and more importantly, Nancy, the animal rescuer, we got to stop the campaign momentarily for me and go up to Albany, go up to New York State to it. We got to rescue El Capitan, the husky, the frisky husky, I might add, that he did not give a little snip, a little neutering. Mm. So we go up to the uh, executive mansion and there's the guard shack. African-American uh, state troopers there, you know, Smokey the Bear Cap, dressed in grays. And there is El Capitan humping the poor guy's leg. He said, what is your business here, Curtis? I said, I'm here to take El Capitan. He goes, oh, thank God. The guy nips, nips at our, our legs. He's humping us all. He's in heat. The governor just abandoned El Capitan here. Please, will you take it? I got I to gotta call up, though. I got to ask for permission. It was one lone Cuomo white back there in the governor's mansion, probably looking to see if uh, all the valuables had been taken out because Cuomo left in a rush. What is his name? Rich Araposi or something like that. He was uh, sort of uh, doing all the tweeting for the governor. So he tweets the governor. Slee was here to take El Capitan. Andrew Cuomo, over my dead body. You take El Capitan. If there's one thing you do, you hold El Capitan. I'm dropping everything. I'm driving right back. Hell if would takes El Capitan. I would have taken him to the vet, right? With a little snip, a little tuck. You know, any guy, man. And poor, poor state trooper. El Capitan was humping all over his leg. And naturally, what was he to do? Shoot the dog? Taser the dog? Oh, they took the batons away from the state troopers, too. So he didn't have the nightstick. We were ready. We Nancy was talking to El Capitan. You know, she has this way. You're going to hear her at 11 o'clock, the animal welfare. She's able to talk to wolves, coyotes, cats, dogs. She, it's like she puts a sound out and they respond. She starts putting this sound out to El Capitan. It's calming them down. It's coming. <laughs> you know, licking us all over the place. The guy is like, you know, obviously like uh, Andrew Cuomo. Now you see Cuomo from time to time. He puts on his Instagram. He's on his yacht there. You know, El, El Capitan. Yeah, yeah, you left him behind. So anyway, now you know the rest of the story, as Paul Harvey said. Cindy Adams, though, asked him about his father. Now, interesting, Andrew Cuomo never calls his dad, daddy, father, pops, 
Like, typically, right? My father was Chester. I'd never call him by his first name. Are you kidding? He'd look at me, and I'd melt. Like, you don't call me by my first name. I remember Anthony said, hey, Curtis, what? What? You, you don't call me. I'm your dad. I don't know what it is about Andrew Cuomo. He calls. He called his father when he was alive. Mario. Did he think it was like he was equal to him? You know, like he was a peer? That's your father. Guy could have been president if he played his cards right. I mean, he was on his way to the White House. Governor could have been the U.S. Supreme Court. Clinton wanted to appoint him. He said no to it. So Cindy Adams asked Andrew about his personality, his dad's personality, and the fact of whether they feel like politicians. Did your personality do you in? Was that some of it because you're, you've always been tough for everything? You've fought for us all. Is that part of it? The part of it is uh, I was disruptive to the political class. You know, it's funny, Cindy, you remember my father. Yeah, of course uh, I do. Of this course. old Mario Cuomo. He used to say, I don't like politicians. And I used to say, but, Dad, you're a politician. Don't you ever call me a politician. <laughs> I would say, but you're in politics. I'm not a politician. Uh, and he wasn't a politician. Now, of course he's a politician. You know, how many times, Matt Blaze, have you heard people, oh, I'm not a professional politician. Oh, I'm not a politician, right? Trump, Mario Cuomo, all of them. Are you kidding? The first time you shake a hand and kiss a baby, you're a politician. Curtis Lee was a politician. Day one, I announce I'm running for mayor. Somebody brings a baby up. I shake the hand. I'm a politician. Right there. It's my baptism. Oh, I'm not a politician. What a kyakyadam, what Pinocchio's Trump and Cuomo, right? Uh, not a politician. So now he's getting a little nice and warm and fuzzy with Cindy Adams, which is unusual. Oh, Cindy can be very mean. Remember, he gave these interviews exclusively here at WABC. Back to back, belly to belly. Nobody else. Cindy Adams first, smart. And then John Katzmatidis, the roundtable discussion at 5 on Friday, that almost caused Judge Weinberg to stroke, stroke out. But then she asks, because you can see Cindy's warming up, not easy to do, if he considers himself warm and fuzzy. Can it be that maybe you're just not warm and fuzzy? Is that what was needed and wasn't there? First of all, I'm not fuzzy. I don't want to be fuzzy. I don't even know what fuzzy means. I'm from New York. We don't have fuzzy in New York. Well, that is true. I've known Andrew Cuomo in good times. I supported his father when he was running for governor in the Democratic primary against Ed Koch. Against all odds, he won. And I continue to support him as he had supported us when he was lieutenant governor. He held the very first fundraiser for us at the old club Magique. Remember Magique underneath the 59th Street Bridge, a.k.a. the Queensboro Bridge, a.k.a. the Ed Koch Bridge? Why does a bridge have three freaking names? But I digress. And then over law and order, because remember, Mario Facha Bruta Cuomo, King Cuomo I, was the governor when David Dinkins was the mayor. We had the Crown Heights riots, the Washington Heights riots, and luckily Rudy won. 
in the rematch, barely, I might add. So then Cindy Adams asked Andrew Cuomo the Zeldin question, the Zeldin question. Well, give me a shorter answer on Hochul or Zeldin. What? Zeldin is his views are opposite the overwhelming majority of New Yorkers and Americans. He is against a woman's right to choose. He is against marriage equality. He says he would vote against the gun bill that I passed, which banned assault weapons. Uh, So he is ultra conservative. And on the issues that New Yorkers care about, he is wrong. He is just wrong. This is you're not going to get elected and you shouldn't get elected being against a woman's right to choose being against marriage equality, being against gun safety after all the mass shootings we've had. Uh, he, he does not represent New Yorkers, and I don't believe uh, he's going to win. I don't believe he should win. Well, so at least that, I got an answer. That's not bad. And he clearly defined himself as a loyal Democrat. He's not vacillating. Even though you know he hates, he loathes, he despises Kathy Hochul. He does. With a he wants vengeance. He's like Michael Corleone. One day, he will want to settle all scores because he considers them traditor. Hochul, especially Tish James. You have to understand, when Tish James was running in a Democratic primary for attorney general, there was Maloney, there were a whole bunch of candidates. Andrew Cuomo personally embraced her, said it. She is the next attorney general. She won the primary because of Cuomo's endorsement. So he feels he's been violated. And he's seething in the compound. In the Chris Cuomo Fredo compound, he's seething right now. He wants vengeance, but he knows he can't, he can't show his anger. Because it's part of the comeback. WABC. New York's talk station with the king of New York. Curtis Lewa, 77 WABC. Can I dance to Tarantella? I received such good news hours before this program as I finished the Quinella. This weekend, WABC, as it is each and every weekend, ABC, the acronym, you know it, Matt Blaze. Even the Stunard Ken, the telephone talent coordinator, knows that ABC stands for always broadcasting, Curtis. I have such nachos. I feel so good. I learned of the death of one of my many enemies, the Reverend Louis Giganti. That's right, a priest. But he was a priest... Not in the traditional sense. He was the youngest brother of any the Chen Gigante. And he would wheel him around in a wheelchair. He would walk around the West Village, not far from Sullivan Street, where they had the Triangle Social Club for the Genovese crime family. And the guy who ran that was Benny Eggs Mangano. And I remember walking down Bleecker Street in Benny Eggs. I ran into him and he said, hey, you know, you're lucky we're not trying to kill you like some of the others. I said, how come you don't kill as many people as the 
Bananos, the Lucases, the Gambinos, and the Columbos. He goes, you got to break their arm, break their legs so they wear a cast. So for like four or five months, they walk around the neighborhood. Everybody sees they got a cast and they know, uh uh-oh, you got a cast because of the chin. And they don't say the chin, they just hold their chin very quietly. Everybody knows, you don't mess with us, the Genovese crime family. You don't mess with Vinny the chin gigante. And every time the feds would come close, the FBI acronym back then before 9-11 meant forever busting Italians. After 9-11, forever busting Islamists. And they would stalk Vinny the Chin, who would walk around, all around the West Village. He'd be talking to the birds and the bees. Be talking to telephone poles. He had on this ratty bathrobe, the slippers. He acted Mashugu bots. And he had an Irish walking cap. And so all of a sudden, his brother, Louis Giganti, who was up there in the South Bronx, had been a city councilman twice, and then the Vatican said, no more priests and nuns running for political office. That's like being in hell. And they were right. You can't, you can't be a priest or a nun and run for political office. I mean, that's like the worst of the worst, right? He didn't like it. And the Vatican said, you don't like it, Louis? You can leave. Uh, no, no, I got to protect my brother. When I got the collar on, they back off. He ran against my friend, Herman Badillo, for Congress. You lost, Louis, even though you tried to steal the election. And he was always on the periphery. Every time Vinny the chin gigante would be in trouble because he was staying at his Greek Kumara's house, counting the scaro. Yeah, she kept the books. And the FBI was closing in. Who would come and stand outside that that townhouse on the Upper East Side? It was Louis. She got, you leave my brother alone. Oh, back off. You know, a lot of the FBI guys, Catholics, they make the sign of the cross, right? And I would burn, I would burn a mass card there and say, one day, Reverend Louis, one day, so he died at the age of 90, and he was a perv, and I knew he was a perv, hitting on little boys. There aren't so many of them pervs, priests in the Roman Catholic Church. Three charges against him. In the 80s, a little boy in the confessional, eight years old. In the 70s, two boys in the confessional. Right, uh, yeah, nice guy. Vinny, Vinny the Chin's brother, Louis. He goes straight to hell without an asbestos suit. So, <gasps> you're all offended. Oh! Curtis, I gave him the maluki when I burnt the mask card. I said, hey, you come for me, I come for you. He goes, oh, your problem's with the Gambinos, not the Genovese. Just leave my brother alone. You talk bad about my brother on the radio. Remember, it could be the ultimate price to pay. I said, oh, are you threatening me? I'm not threatening you. He's dead. I'm so happy. But see, this causes me to digress. I was talking about the comeback of the sixth crime family of organized crime in New York. Yes, Ken, the six, you know, you have the Genovese. They were the strongest, best organized. I give them credit where credit is due. The Gambinos, they were Ubats, crazy, as were the Lucases. They were like uh, Siamese twins. The Columbos, they couldn't shoot straight. They were always killing their own. And the Bananos. And then there was the Cornwall crime family. 
Well, you know, they've all had falls from time to time. Mario was the Hamlet on the Hudson. You remember that time he was in the governor's executive office? The official governor's plane was on the tarmac at Albany Airport, ready to take him to Manchester. All he had to do was sign papers, and he would enter the Democratic uh, primary there and begin his trek to become the first Italian-American to win the presidency. And remember, coming off of the Moscone Convention in San Francisco that nominated Mondale and uh, Cuomo's friend, Geraldine Ferraro, the congresswoman, they called her the housewife from Forest Hills. She lived in the gardens. What housewife? You know how much money you got to make to live in the gardens? She pretended, oh, I'm a housewife. I go to Wall Bombs. Here's the shopping cart. Meantime, her son was the chemist. He was dealing cocaine at Dartmouth. I know. I know it all. Come on. I lived in Four Sills for a while. Right there, Yellowstone. Right here. You saw me in Ingram. I, I saw you with your two sons. Anyway, I digress. So Mario Cuomo could have run for the presidency as a Democrat. It made a, would have been a slugfest in the primary. They would have slimed him. There's no doubt about it. Some always felt because of his father-in-law, Rafa, who definitely was a member of organized crime, no doubt about it, that, that those bones would be resurrected. And remember when Geraldine Ferrara ran, she had the problem, her husband, they filed jointly. She should have filed separately because he was all mobbed up. That pretty much ended the Mondale candidacy. And you know who went on to win that presidential election. It wasn't Walter Mondale. And it wasn't Geraldine Ferrara. So Cuomo understood that. That was his um, Achilles heel. The allegations that Matilda, his wife's father, was part of organized crime. He was. I know that. No doubt about it. He had to keep food in East New York. He had affiliations with all the Lucchese's who had the chop shop. I know more. But anyway, we'll save that for another day. We're talking about... What do you do when all of a sudden you fall from grace? Could have been the president. Could have been up there on Mount Rushmore, right? You had George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, Abraham Lincoln, Teddy Roosevelt, and they were preparing a spot for Mario, Mario Cuomo. But he didn't get on that plane. He said, I can't get on that plane because as governor of the state of New York, I have to bring in a balanced budget. Eh. Yeah, right. Got to have it in on time. That was the excuse. Nobody bought that. But he always vacillated. That's why they called him the Hamlet on the Hudson. Should I, should I not? Should I, should I not? He was a tortured man at times. Look, eventually, Bill Clinton, remember, Bill Clinton was having pillow talk with Jennifer Flowers. Remember? Oh, he he sounds like a mafia don. Jennifer was talking about Mario Cuomo at that time. We heard it, the tapes. But, hey, they made amends. Mario, he he said, look, this thing of ours, I put that aside. Call me a mafia Don. And Bill did not defend my honor. For that, I need a favor, Bill. You got to take care of my son, Andrew. You got to make him the head of HUD. 
housing and urban development. I see that Cisneros, who would have been the first Latino president of the United States, came out of Harvard. San Antonio mayor lied to the FBI about his gumada, so they had to take him right out of HUD. Hasn't been seen since. And so Bill Clinton understood that he had maligned Mario Cuomo to Jennifer Flowers, one of his many gumadas. And he said, how would you like to be a United States Supreme Court justice? This is fact. Mario turned it down. Turned it down! That would have been the perfect position for him. He would have stayed in his chambers arguing against himself back and forth. He didn't need to argue with the other justices. He would have been arguing with himself for days, hours, weeks, months. If you knew Mario like I knew Mario, he was a tortured soul at times. And then he decided, like everybody who is a politician who is either retired or had their opportunity and missed missed the, the ring, they're going to get involved in talk radio, right? Let me tell you something. The worst talk radio hosts and hostesses are politicians because they think with a seven-second sound delay. Am I offending? Do I have to apologize? Like Jackie Mason. Am I offending? Do I have to apologize? And the ABC network set up Mario Cuomo on the weekends. Mario Cuomo show. Oh, my God. He already had affiliates. It was a national show. He hadn't done one show. He already had like 400 affiliates. You would have thought he was going to be the alternative to Rush Limbaugh, right? Trying to think, well, what did they call it? The Mario Cuomo show. Could have worked on WVOX up in Westchester, you know, for William O'Shaughnessy, but not on the ABC network. Let me give you a little sample of how dull it was and how it crashed and burned after a month. San Diego, California, and Rhode Island, and in all the places in between. This is Mario Cuomo. Things are always ending. Things are always beginning. This, as you may know, is the last live show in this program that I'll be doing. For the next four months, I'll be putting a sharper focus and a greater emphasis on the campaigns for president and Congress with in-person appearances. I'll be traveling around the country a great deal, making speeches, having debates, with people like Jack Kemp and Bill Bennett, and uh, doing some uh, guest spots on radio, television. We'll do a series on CNN Sundays at a 12 o'clock, the Frank Sesno Show. Bill Bennett and I will be on on alternate weekends throughout Who the cares, campaign. Who cares, Who cares? Maybe we'll be doing something from the convention. So oh, we're, we're beginning something new, at least for the four months, until oh. after the election. Which yeah, is November. Okay, but, right. but it's much too soon to say so long. Mm-hmm. We have a whole lot of conversation still ahead of us. Three hours of it. To Get to the point! On this Independence Day weekend. So take down the numbers, because there'll be a great deal to talk about. If you want to call 1-800-825-5188. Call 1-800-825-5188. that number, ladies and gentlemen. Call that. You'll if talk you to Mario Cuomo the facts, in the grave. We'll be working for three hours. And it works vigorously indeed. 1-800-588-9681. We're still celebrating. I would have preferred to have been waterboarded and Gitmo 
by Crazy Dick Cheney, really. It was maybe one of the worst talk radio programs I ever heard. It was all about him, me. This is what I'm doing. I'm shining my shoes. I'm wiping my talkers. Yeah. You know, yesterday I took a walk in Washington Park. I wondered why were the leaves turning to brown and orange? It was a little too early. I mean, the most boring. He lasted one month. They fired him. Notice he said, oh, I got to go off. You know, I got to attend to the presidential primaries, the election, the congressional. It was all a lie. See, people think they can just do this thing of ours, talk radio. They can't. It's improv. It's theater of the mind. Man, you don't come in here with a script. It's not It's not like TV. You look in the teleprompter. You could be, you can, could make it on TV. You're such a moron, a stunad, a muscle between both ears. As long as you could read. Look, Joe Biden can read, right? He became president of the United States. Barely. Radio, you don't have that. It's light action's camera. You got to improv. Now, some of us do it a little better than others. Some of us, yeah, you think they're still on TV. Including people here at WABC. They do a TV show on radio, and it sucks. And the ratings proved it. But then again, you know, I just grew up listening to talk radio. I know a lot about talk radio, but hey, you know. For nothing, I can take the Staten Island Ferry to the North Shore and come back. doesn't cost me one penny. I give my advice free. It goes in one ear, out the other ear. But I digress. So Mario Cuomo, I mean, he was as close to becoming president as you could ever be. He could have been the United States Supreme Court justice appointed by Bill Clinton. That's a fact. He chose not to. But he chose to try to be a talk show host who opened up with a nationally syndicated show, 400 syndicated stations, who after two weeks said, what the hell did you get us involved in? So he failed. But the Cuomo's, once they fail, they always seem to feel they have to talk in a microphone. I don't know what it is. For Mario is radio. For this new generation, it's podcast, podcast, podcast. Look, look, let me, let me be particularly curt about podcasts. I hate podcasts. I don't listen to podcasts. I believe in talk radio. We have 55 podcasts here at WABC. Never listen to one and never will. I got too much to do all day. What do you think? I'm going to be walking around with headphones, getting stabbed and mugged in the subways and streets. Well, oh, I'm listening to one of the podcasts at WABC. There are 3.6 million podcasts on Spotify. Everybody has a podcast. Oh, you got to listen to my podcast, Curtis. No, I don't. Podcasts are not radio. It's not radio. This is radio. Podcast is edited. Oh, no, we got to remove that. Boom. Get out of here. Ben Shapiro, right? He failed as a talk radio show. Oh, he's the golden child. Uh, He's the next thing in talking. No, he's not. He does a podcast on radio. He crashed and burned. Hey, he's got other entities going for him, but radio, talk shows, never. And I'll never forget that day that Chad Lopez of the old company Cumulus marched me in with all the suits, the mockers, and muckety-mucks. And I sat down, and they all looked at me, and they said, Oh, so you're doing afternoon drive time. No more. We're putting in Ben Shapiro.
He's the here, the now, the future of talk radio. He's the golden, he said, the golden child. I didn't complain. I was bringing in more money, seven live reads in an hour, right? Madonna, my, that's a lot. I did not complain. I said, this is the business I have chosen. I walked out the door and I said, F all of you. Where's he now, huh? Well, got some station out there in Westchester, you know, they play the podcast. Cumulus. Oofa to you, Cumulus. Had to get that off my chest, you see? Had to get that off my chest. So Mario failed as a talk show host, right? I mean, he was a successful politician. Would have been a very successful United States Supreme Court justice, but for some reason chose not to. Now, his sons, uh, dollar short day late. I guess um, the gene pool was a little uh, depleted when it came to the baby Chris Fredo. Chris, um, you know his problems at CNN for a while there. It was the uh, Cuomo News Network. And Chris was getting the highest ratings, right? What, at 9 o'clock at night? And then all of a sudden, he crashed and burned. So what did Chris Cuomo do? Obviously, he had a freaking podcast. Like 10 trillion. Oh, you got to listen to my podcast. No, I don't. Oh, it's the best. No, it isn't. How do you know if you haven't listened to it? Trust me. I know it sucks. And they leave me alone. I just want to give you a smidgen of the Chris Cuomo podcast that he's now doing to say, I'm alive. I'm back. I'm Fredo. I'm Chris Cuomo. Uh, and my diet can suck. I drink too much. I'm thinking about that. Mostly in terms of why I drink too much. And I'm probably what people in the sobriety community would call a normie, but a hard drinker. <laughs> I drink um, often, and I definitely think it's not always for the right reason. I think it's to settle my mind. I think it's to deal with emotions. And I'm not saying I'm an alcoholic. I don't believe in abusing those terms. You are an alcoholic. You've given every symptom of an alcoholic. Not me. And you know what he calls this, uh, Matt Blaze? He says the Chris Cuomo Project, like the Alan Parsons Project. You know, what is that, progressive rock? You know, they call it prog rock. Horrible. God, I, I listen to why I wanted to impale myself with the microphone. When we come back, though, he now has his own podcast, Andrew Evilized Cuomo. That's right. So Papa failed with his radio show. Chris Fredo failed with his podcast, but I guess failure comes in threes for the Cuomo, Cuomo crime family. WABC. New York's talk station with the king of New York. Curtis Lewa, 77 WABC. Mario tried radio, crashed and burned. Fredo Chris Cuomo tried a podcast, crashed and burned. So what does Andrew Evilized Cuomo does? He tries his hand at a podcast. It's called, as a matter of fact, that is a horrible name. And he goes on and on and on and on. His first guest, Scarmucci. 
Scaramucci, remember, what was he like, a spokesperson for the Trump administration for all of five days or whatever? Vile, despicable, loathsome, heinous. Anthony Scaramucci, what did he, he make his bones in a, a boiler room operation in Bensonhurst, you know, uh, pressuring people to buy penny, penny stocks. He, he gives me that feeling. By the way, what did he do? He came out of Port Washington. You know who also was born and raised in Port Washington? Sean Spicer, also the spokesperson for Trump. Hey, you see, what an idiot that guy is. I guess it's the water out there from the aquifer. The school. Uh, let me. Uh, man, I'm really angry. Really. Well, oh, wait, wait. Let's pave the way for the podcast. As a matter of fact, Andrew Cuomo is comeback. I don't tow the party line, and I won't tolerate the Washington nonsense. It's time to uncover the facts, have honest conversations, and develop real answers to our greatest challenges. Let's do that together. I'm Andrew Cuomo, inviting you to join me on my new weekly podcast, As a Matter of Fact. Andrew, let me tell you something. If they had two guns to my head and said the only way you'll avoid having your brain splatted all over the sidewalk is to listen to the full, as a matter of fact, Andrew Cuomo podcast, I would say pull the trigger now, please, both at the same time. It is the worst between him and Scarmucci. You know, I love you. You love me. We're the best. Not like the rest. Like two peacocks in a room, right? It's like having two Sid Rosenbergs in the room at the same time, right? I mean, my God. There's not enough oxygen in there to suck up. I, me, I, me. I'm the best. Not like the rest. Let me tell you how you do this. They got to work hard. Somebody here at this station who has proven that. In fact, let me take you back. Probably many of you remember before there were podcasts, there were people who did public access shows. I think walk around a cocktail party. You know, I do a public access show. Like, so what? What, like five people watch? No, I do a public access show. Oh, and somebody would say, oh, you should interview this person. You should interview this person. A bunch of yentas. Remember the movie Wayne's World? Remember that key scene involving Mike Myers in Aurora, Illinois, coming out of his house? Remember remember what he said? Okay, I still live with my parents, which I admit is both bogus and sad. But at least I've got an amazing cable access show. And I still know how to party. But what I'd really love is to do Wayne's World for a living. It might happen. Yeah, and monkeys might fly out of my butt. Cuomo's, I know they're listening now. They're on the compound there in Southampton. Is Andrew Evilice Cuomo used to have a good belly laugh on New York One. I appeared once a week with Herson Barrero, and I would wear the King Cuomo costume. He liked that. So did uh, Chris Fredo. They liked that. They, they actually they understood it. A lot of other people, they don't get the parodies, the satire, none of that. But Cuomo's, I want you to understand the way you can climb up the ladder and be a successful podcaster, or if you choose the higher level talk show host, because being a talk show host is much better than being a podcaster. Everybody's a podcaster. I told you, they're like close to 4 million podcasts on Spotify, right? Guys in jail do podcasts. What more do I need to say, right? 
while they're in, while they're flushing the toilet and telling you, oh, this is how I launched it. Right? Yeah, yeah, real interesting. There's a man here. Let me let me give you his credentials. I know. I watched him grow up. He was the host of a talk variety show on the Time Warner cable system in Staten Island. And then in March of 2005, he set a world record, the Guinness World Record, by hosting a 33-hour live TV talk show marathon. How do I know? Naturally, I was one of the guests. First TV appearance for little Anthony Chester Slew. I think I had just come back from the Children's Miracle Network uh, conference at Disney World in Orlando. I was a keynote speaker. I was also a board member for six years. And Frank said, would you please, please be my guest. I got to fill 33 hours. I said, man, all you have to do is ask me, is there a camera there? He said, yes, I'm there. And I brought little Anthony Chester. It was his first exposure. He wasn't even one year, well, one and a half, maybe two. And Frank set the world on fire. And he did it the hard way because he made his bones in public access. Not easy to do. And then he labored behind the scenes, Cuomo brothers, labored behind the scenes. He was an intern at WABC while going to NYU. And naturally, people abused him. Hey, I need another co- cup of coffee. I mean, I don't like this coffee. It doesn't have enough milk in it. No, no, no. Go out and get me another cup of coffee just to bust his chops. And he sucked it up. And then he became <clears throat> a contributor producer of the morning show, Curtis and Kuby. Then when they wouldn't let me go to WOR, Women's Only Radio, to do the morning show because they brought in Don Imus, that's right. And Lou, Lou is the first person their board operator walk in, and I said to Kuby, they're bringing in Imus. What are you, what are you crazy? We're doing so No, no, that's Lou, man. That's, that's the Grim Reaper. They're bringing in Imus, and I was right. They fired Ron Kuby. And they put me in a little box, and this Suleiman, this Usinit, this Usarapent, the CEO of Citadel said, you ain't going to WOR. No, yeah, we got a contract here, and we're enforcing it. And your office is right there, that closet. And we're going to give you a syndicated show at night. Then only have like six stations, you know, amuse yourself, knock yourself out. And I said, I'll bide my time. I'll get you, Suleiman, if it's the last thing I do. Frank stood with me. He didn't cut and run. He didn't say, oh, my God, this is like being in a leper colony, man. They all hate Curtis, right? It's like Curtis has monkey pox now. They don't want to have anything to do with him. He was my producer. And then because I wanted to compete in the mornings, how stupid was that? I went to AM 970, the answer, the worst decision of the many bad decisions I've made in my life. Because I wanted to compete. I wanted to get back at Don Imus, right? How stupid was that? There's only one person that I ever remember coming up to me after four years of broadcasting at AM 970, the answer, in Hasbrook, right? Hasbrook Heights, a placebo city. I never saw anybody come out of the house, out of a car, I, I would leave every day. I'd have to take the Port Authority bus. I'd say, where do I get the Port Authority bus? The boulevard. The boulevard. What boulevard? It's the boulevard. God. And then I come over to Penn Station, and I do the afternoon show. 
afternoon drive at AM 970 The Answer with former Governor David Patterson. And one day I said, like Henny Youngman, here's my wife. Take my wife. And he did. And he married my wife, Mary. That's why he's making my husband-in-law now. He's, he's, he is the uh, stepfather to uh, Anthony. Only one person in four years came up, said, I heard, I heard you. You know, it was Rich Valdez who used to be here at Big Macha now. Hey, oh, man, he does a nationally syndicated show at night, the Bohannon Show. He's taking over for Jim Bohannon, who is retired. That could have been me. See, Rich Valdez, he paid. He did his time. He learned his craft. Just like Frank Morano, he didn't abandon me in four years at AM 970, the answer. And then they called me back, thank God, they saved me. Team me back with Kubi, we were doing uh, afternoons, 12 to 3. They wouldn't let Frank leave, AM 970, the answer. He was in the gulag. They wouldn't let him do his own show. And then finally, they let him do a show in the morning, Sunday mornings, right? Why? You know how humiliating it was for him? Cuomo Slitzton! This is how you make your bones in this business. They had him start at like 4 in the morning, and then when he got to 5, they put the Lutheran hour in. Then no, There's no Lutherans left. And then they would come back to Frank for an hour. How humiliating. And Phil Boyd said, you'll never have your own show. Never. And he bided his time, and now look at him. Syndicated all across the nation. I mean, it was Art Bell, right? It was Alan B. Combs. Oh, we miss him so dearly. Great overnight guy. It was Long John Nebel, Candy Jones. And now there's Frank Morano. That's right. You see, I'm paying tribute to him here, guys. Uh, maybe the only time I'll ever say a nice word about him. But you see, Cuomo's, I know you're all listening there. I know. Including Joe Pococo, my enemy, right? Wartime consigliere. You swing a mean Louisville slugger. This is how you make your bones in this business. It doesn't happen overnight. So do your podcast that nobody's going to listen to. Somebody will give you an opportunity, maybe a WVOX, you know, William Sean to see when he was alive. He loved the Cuomo's. That five people listen to. But if you really want to develop your craft, don't call me because I'll introduce you to Mr. Click. Call the man who made his bones in talk radio the hardest possible way. First, in public access TV. Then, as a gopher, intern, producer, man, not allowed to have his own talk show at AM 970. And then finally here with John Katzmatidis had his dream come true. Over the course of human history, there's been Noah's Ark, savior of mankind. St. Francis of Assisi's foregoing his wealth to be savior of all animals. And Curtis Sliwa, guardian angel and savior of New York City, protecting both man and beast. The Curtis Sliwa Show presents Curtis's Ark with Nancy Sliwa. From bipeds to quadrupeds and everything in between. Now, with Nancy Sliwa, here's Curtis Sliwa. Wow. This has turned into a novella, a soap opera, Nancy. The ongoing story 
of what has transpired in Prospect Park involving a woman named Jessica back in August who had raised a moose, an Irish terrier, as a little puppy. Every day she would go into Prospect Park, the northern part there off Faith Avenue, right near the picnic house, walk, walk him, have a little cup of coffee, sit down with everybody else, the dog walkers and the other park uh, participants. Love that park. And then one day, while she was walking her Irish terrier moose, a uh, emotionally disturbed guy with dreadlocks and a staff who had harassed many women walking their dogs before, confronted her and was prepared to hit her with his staff. And she had no escape. And then Moose stood his ground. Moose stood his ground and fought off this... Uh, this violator who hit him repeatedly with the staff, which caused tremendous damage to Moose. He suffered for a whole week and ended up passing away from internal injuries. And it became a cause for everyone there. You've told us this story because you were participating initially trying to help the community form a patrol of the northern part of the park to protect the women, uh, the dog walkers and their dogs from this guy and other guys who live in the park and have been a menace to uh, the society there. Can you uh, get us up to speed? Because I understand that Jessica uh, finally decided to take matters into her own hands. Yeah, so um, at this point, so now this is uh, several months after this unfortunate situation in the park where, uh, you know, she was attacked and her dog was attacked, and unfortunately, her dog uh, later succumbed to the injuries and then passed away. So, uh, you know, I mean, I, I can understand, like, in her situation, like, this is her normal routine. She walks her dog in the park in the morning, and then this happened. And when she initially reported it, you know, it's like I, I think it was taken very lightly by the police department. And that was um, her reaction as well, that, you know, she, she was actually she was going above and beyond, like more than what a normal citizen would do. Uh, having there was even other people who had seen this individual as well. So, you know, having uh, dealt with a lot of these animal situations, when you report something to the NYPD, which is that's their responsibility, their task with uh, enforcing animal abuse issues. Now, this was even beyond that because this person had attacked her as well. But this is like an ancillary issue. Oh, I'm reporting on this. So there was multiple individuals who had uh, tried to assist the, uh, you know, uh, local authorities in terms of, oh, we've seen this man. Because uh, NYPD had put flyers up in the park and there was no response given and they actually wound up closing the case a, a couple weeks ago. And for no reason, given that there was such a, a public outreach of so many people who had seen this individual. So, again, like it, it was being looked at as you're trying to find this culprit of this attack against this woman and her dog. But it became a, a very different type of issue all of these people who were reaching out and spending their time to try and apprehend this individual, and that includes trying to get the help for this person who clearly needs it, they were being shut down every way that they turned. So 
when this was finally dropped by the NYPD, oh, we closed the case. I, I think this woman, um, you know, who went through this was really traumatized, right? Because not only was she attacked, it's that, like, you know, normal situation, right? Like, oh, your animals, your pets, they're your friends, they're your family, they calm you down. Her dog had, you know, uh, been a victim of this crime as well. So she was really doubly traumatized. And I think this is this is really what led to like the most recent thing. So since every public avenue has been shut down for her, even the local officials, oh, we don't want to apprehend this guy. Like they're really looking out for him as opposed to like, you know, saying, oh, he's a danger to himself and others. So she saw him. And the, the last straw was when she saw him about two days ago, she called 911 okay, I'm here, I see him, I have visual contact. She was waiting for over 40 minutes. The NYPD did not show up to, uh, you know, uh, apprehend him. And then what she did was, okay, she's following the guy because I guess she's assuming that, okay, they'll call her back and she can say, oh, I'm here, he went there. And so she's following him. And after a little bit, then the guy winds up coming after her and attacking her again. So I, like, I think this woman is just completely like she has no recourse, I, I think. And that's really sad. That's sad that she was attacked. Her dog was attacked and died. And she's doing everything. And other people, I mean, for people to go out of their way to try and apprehend this person to make sure that. He doesn't continue to traumatize people who visit the park. It's really sad that they're dropping the ball on this individual who needs some help. It is incredible to me. There have been more articles in major publications about the heroism of Moose, the Irish Terrier, than I've ever seen before, just as an example this weekend alone. Front page, New York Post, front page, Daily News. Uh, Metro, Metro Section Times, Harry Siegel, another uh, op-ed piece that he wrote. He wrote one last week in the Sunday paper. All about this situation. You would think this is an embarrassment to City Hall because now she's blaming the mayor. She's, like everybody else, says a victim of crime is saying, Mr. Mayor, what are you doing, Eric Adams? You know what? And I think the other level of this, too, is a lot of these crimes that are now um, being reported on where people are, they're bringing their camera up so they can video record it. Like, that's great. Like, to some extent, okay, there's video footage. It doesn't matter if these people don't get locked up. But the point is, no one's willing to step in. You have these, um, you know, individuals where their pets, like, I mean, this really is the whole point, is like, these pets are standing their ground to protect their owners. Like, that should be given such a level of deference and it's being ignored. It's like they gave their lives to protect their owners. I mean, they're better than most people like walking throughout the city. They're willing to give their lives. Like, like I said, it's really surprising that there's no attention being paid to this. It is absolutely incredible. This is what I'd like to do on behalf of Moose and all hero dogs. Remember, we also last week talked about Bailey, a dog uh, that was raised by a 91-year-old iconic civil rights hero in Boston who lives in Roxbury, 91 years old, well-renowned. Everyone acknowledges 
that she helped break uh, the racist bend that existed in Boston for many years. She's walking her dog in Roxbury Park, and this uh, young thug comes up behind her, tries to rape her. She fights him off. She kicks him in his three-piece set. He pulls out a knife. He stabs her, Nancy, five times. He tries to kill her, and her dog barely stood his ground and attacked him. And caused him to bleed, and he ran away. I don't believe he's been arrested yet. Here's another case of a hero dog standing his ground to defend the defenseless. I mean, and when you think about the the level of stories that relate to this, and this is exactly what the um, you know dogs will do for their owners, like that level of commitment to them. There needs to be that recognition of honor and respect for what's going on, because otherwise, you know, in the law, they're not treated equally. Oh, well, they're property like that's that's sort of the protocol for them. Oh, they're property. They don't get a lot of deference. But how many you know living creatures are willing to stand up for anybody in that situation? Like, I, I think this is something that really needs to be prioritized. Like these animals are. They're part and parcel of the family. They're the best protectors in the family you can imagine because they're willing to just jump in whenever. I mean, there's a reason why people do feel comfortable when they walk their dogs outside because they know their dogs will protect them. They're not going to run away. So, I mean, you have to respect that fact and respect the fact that these are part of people's families. I mean, again, this this woman uh, whose dog was you know, injured and then ultimately died from the injuries in Prospect Park. I mean, imagine this, like, you you know, you move to the neighborhood because you really want to frequent the park. It's a beautiful place. You have a dog. It's a great place to have the dog. And you go there and then this horrific attack happens against you and your dog and your dog dies. And then you reach out to the uh, NYPD. Okay, you reach out to local officials no one pays any mind to it. Like this whole incident is being swept under the rug. Like I can, I can certainly understand the frustration of this, you know, being something that's being ignored. Like this is ridiculous. Like this is so unacceptable. You should really prioritize this. And it's showing no concern for anyone in this situation, the people living outside, the people who need help, the residents of the neighborhood, the animals in the neighborhood. Like, there's no concern for anybody. I must tell you that um, we have done our part. Our guardian angels are patrolling the northern part of Prospect Park in the mornings from 6 to 11, knowing that that's a time where a lot of the uh, women, working women, are, are usually walking their dogs before they have to go to work or take care of their children or attend to other chores. Uh, and we will continue to be out there, but everybody else has to start doing their job. You you would think there are a lot of men. We've been in the park together, seen a lot of men. They're jogging around. They're on their bicycles, but they're, they just focus on themselves. It's almost like they got a cone on top of their heads. And they've got to start looking out for the people who are under attack there because these uh, emotionally disturbed men, there are quite a few of them, are living in the park. And they need to be helped. But the city is refusing to do that. I mean, and at a minimum, if you're overly concerned about maybe uh, stepping into a situation where you don't really know what's going on, I think you can pretty much gauge a normal scenario. If someone's under attack, you should feel no issue with, uh, you know, 
getting yourself involved in a situation to diffuse it. And I really think that's the point. So it's like once you step in to diffuse the situation, that's what you're supposed to do. Like, you know, people are, are out there. They need help. I mean, when we were at the park, it's like, you know, all the people you see, it's, it's families, it's young people, it's children. And we didn't see any, um, you know, NYPD uh, there whatsoever. So I guess the presumption is people are going to step in on your behalf if anything happens. But I'm not really sure if that's the, the public sentiment. Like, you might feel a little bit nervous about doing that, but you have to. Like, that's your job at this point because, unfortunately, this isn't the official response. They're not going to step in to help you. Ladies and gentlemen, you have to Google the Irish Terrier Moose and look at all the articles that have been written about his demise, this hero dog. In today's uh, news cycle, Nancy, there are two stories that come out of Park Slope. That's the area that borders Prospect Park where Jessica raised this Irish Terrier, this hero dog Moose. Uh, There's that story, the continuation of her trials and tribulations. You can't get justice for Moose. Uh, and she is also under attack. But then the other story they had was of uh, Bill de Blasio walking around 7th Avenue. I showed you the block he lived on the last uh, last week when we were there. And he has now dyed his hair brown. And that's like a big story. Oh, he's no longer silver-haired Bill de Blasio. He's a Clairol brunette. <laughs> I, I, did, I did see that story. Um, I'm not sure why he would have done that. It's seems a little odd. I mean, I, I think I think that the gray gives some level of uh, distinction. So, yeah, I think he did himself a disservice. By that he's there. preparing to uh, become a professor at NYU. God save those kids. But we digress. <laughs> I am going to suggest I'm going to go to the Parks Department because their office is right there. It's an excellent, excellent Parks Department building. It's over 100 years old. It used to be a mansion there. And I'm going to suggest to them that we work together to put up a memorial like the French do. The French put up memorials to their hero dogs all over France. When I was in Paris in the outer suburbs, right near these, uh, they call them uh, block uh, houses. They're, they're, they're like projects. We would call them projects, uh, flats, block flats, they refer to them. The toughest of the tough people live there. They are rough projects. They, when I was walking around, I saw like four statues to dogs, separate dogs, and I was saying to the people, how come there's so many statues to dogs? They said, well, these are dogs who either rescued people who were stuck in a fire, uh, heroically prevented a robbery or a beating, and many of them lost their lives in the process, and the French honor these hero dogs with statues in the parks and in the squares. We don't really do that here. Yeah, I mean, and again, in this situation, what's, what's um, you know, obviously the um, uh, element of the story that has really taken off is the fact that the dog uh, succumbed to the injuries. And so it's really looking at that sort of element. But the reality is the, the woman, you know, that's her pet, that's her friend, that's like she was attacked in the park equally. She survived the injuries. The dog didn't. But so in her situation, like, you know, she's being traumatized now because of what she went through. 
And then her dog was traumatized, and the, the dog succumbed to the injuries. So it's like she has very little support system. And like I said, that the dog would be normally like the comfort zone for her. So it's just, again, it's very sort of sad. Like I can see why she's taking that. I mean, the, the story where she just recently, yeah, like on Friday, you know, called, oh, I see this guy. He's here. Part of the problem, too, is, you know, if someone's going through a really traumatizing situation, clearly they were attacked, their pet was attacked, their their friend died. And if the police are not going to do anything about it, which clearly is what's going on because they're not doing anything about it in spite of multiple people, you know, uh, having sightings, going out, willing to spend their time. I'm here. I see this person. You know, you're now you're giving this woman the runaround. So you're sort of minimizing the whole situation of what just happened to her. So if you're really not going to address this situation, if your official response is, well, even if we get this guy, nothing's going to happen. I mean, she's a big girl. I'm sure she can handle that reality. You should just say that. You're not. You're sort of playing these games like, oh, call me. Oh, when you call me, we'll show up. Okay, well, well now we're going to wait here half an hour. Oh no! And he's like, no. Now you have to follow the person into the park. This is like, this now, uh, this yeah. is mind-boggling. Uh, she is in the paper today, screaming at the mayors. A lot of people are screaming at the mayor. <laughs> <laughs> of course, <laughs> like he's going to regret <laughs> claiming he was the law and order mayor. She's screaming at the mayor. Your cops won't even follow up. This guy attacked me a second time. Tried to kill me. And your city councilwoman here tells tells all the people, don't call nine one one. Don't get involved. Don't help the women who are walking their dogs. This is crazy. I, I will promise all of our listeners that we will organize a committee, as you know, it's a bureaucracy when you deal with the Parks Department, to erect on the site of the attack where Moose was killed by this emotionally disturbed man with uh, wearing uh, dreadlocks and carrying a staff. And there are pictures of him posted in the park now, and still... People see him every day, and they're not calling the cops. They've been told, don't call the police. Don't rat them out. Uh, we, yeah, will con- yeah. we will continue yeah. to patrol that area, and if we see him, we're definitely uh, we're bringing him to the police. But more importantly, uh, we've got to get a memorial up to Moose. I mean, this, this, this dog was heroic. He, he stood his ground on behalf of Jessica, who raised him from a little puppy. Anyway, our number is 1-800-848-9222. We'll keep you informed. If you'd like more information about Moose, uh, you Google Moose. Boy, there's like so many articles. Or you go to Facebook at Curtis Lewa, Facebook at Curtis Lewa, and you will see exactly what our contribution to the effort is because others are doing nothing, sadly, doing nothing. Now, the other big story, this was amazing. There was a gathering at the Washington Square Arch, one of the biggest rallies I have ever seen. And remember, you remember, I was right in the middle of those Black Lives Matter rallies, Antifa rallies that led into uh, riots and shootings and lootings, but they would always start in Washington Square Park. They had it filled. But the other day, there was a gathering in Washington Square Park that filled up half the park. It was a huge, huge rally. And it was under the banner of birds aren't real. What the hell yeah. is this? <laughs> okay, so 
this is let's see hmm how would i how would i how would i classify this like a, a movement an interest so uh, it started with an individual like a young guy in college and he was seeing a lot of these uh protests that were going on you know obviously throughout the united states but in his neighborhood in arkansas and i think he was visiting like a friend in memphis and you know all these like protests going on now i mean in new york city i'm sure like anyone who's been in new york city when you see any sort of event going on there's always like these uh counter protest events happening as well so that's sort of where this thing came from to try and uh, uh sort of a you know de-escalate some of the uh high energy that happens when any of these events happen where you might have like a counter protest going on so uh this individual is saying now so i mean again a young guy he he's trying to you know, again, like, you know, he, yeah, but, he's but, just but starting he, out. He's, he's, he's criticizing pigeons. He says every time a flock of birds circled Washington <laughs> Square Park, we should boo. We should not let the birds settle in Washington Square Park. Now, remember, Washington Square Park is right in the flight pattern of birds that are migrating south for the winter. They fly over that area of Manhattan in the West Village and they stop there in the trees, you know, sometimes it's like a layover, you know, like uh, uh, you would have a layover at an airport and then catch a connecting flight the next day. They stop in the trees, and then once it's dawn the next day, they resume the migration, whether they're going down to Florida or the Keys, Key West or Louisiana, the Bayou and Mississippi. And so this is part of their pattern, and he's basically saying – the people should gather there and disrupt the flight patterns and especially <laughs> chase out the pigeons. Yeah, I'm definitely a little concerned about the, the signage that appears at these events because there's a lot of uh, uh, anti-pigeon uh, visuals in these events. So if you're not aware about what's going on, it might actually turn people against the pigeons, so I'm not on board with that. So, yeah. yeah that's, see, they that's had 5,000 people with all kinds of signs saying, no pigeons here in Washington Square Park. As you saw the other day, you posted a picture, a picture of me. I was feeding the pigeons before I came to WABC <laughs> Saturday to do the show Left versus Right with Anthony Weiner at 3. Had to be at least 150 pigeons following me. The only place they won't follow me. Is in the subways. It's even too dangerous for the pigeons. And, and actually, it's like the, the only place I I saw someone who was able to hand feed pigeons um, a couple years ago was in Washington Square Park. So, and, and now in all these public parks, they're trying to make it easier for I guess their um, like cost their cleanup. So they put down like turf, like artificial grass. They're actually taking real grass away from public parks, so that, there's another reason why pigeons might be a little, uh, you know, discombobulated. God, I mean, look at this. Bad news from NYU. First, the students are protesting pigeons in Washington Square Park. Then we find out that Bill de Blasio is going to be a professor there on January 1st and ruin With brown hair. Right, an entire generation of students at NYU. And parents end up spending like a hundred thousand. You know, for Frank Morano, his 
mother, Stephanie, had to work two jobs. His father, Carmine, had to work two jobs so that this guy could graduate and be officially called an NYU violet? Okay, well, but, but look, they, they cleared out uh, de Blasio out of Boston real quick, so hopefully they'll do the same thing in NYU. Yeah, notice he's not an adjunct professor. They told him leave. The, the students didn't want him there in Cambridge. So now, I know, like, yeah, I, yeah, you should be embarrassed to have him on your staff. You know, just a side note, it has nothing to do with animals, but there was a chancellor at NYU, John Sexton, People need to know when he was a teacher, he was the debate coach at St. Brendan's for my older sister, Alita. St. Brendan's was in uh, Sheepshead Bay. And they would come over to the house in Canarsie and they would practice their debate. And then on Saturdays, they would go out and massive debates, uh, you know, against other girls' schools, Catholic schools. And he said to uh, my mother, Franceschi, says, you know, when Curtis is old enough, let me know. I'll get him into Brooklyn Prep because that's where he was teaching. That's where he graduated from, a very exclusive high school. He had to take a special test. So my mother actually called him up when I was having a hard time in Bill C. Junior High School. My uh, my uh, my uh, uh, grades were plummeting. I was in an SB class, and uh, John Sexton muscled me into Brooklyn Prep. It's the worst mistake the Jesuits ever allowed themselves to make as a favor for John Sexton. Because they shine their boots on my uh, backside, kicked me out my senior year when I was student government president. I never looked back. But John Sexton went on to become chancellor of NYU. He would never have permitted this. Never. He's out there in the Rockaways, the Irish Riviera. Oh, my God. I had to get that off my chest. Now, to other parks, the park that I used to live near off Avenue uh, A and St. Mark's Place, Tompkins Square Park, Mm-hmm. Had a marvelous parade. I'm sorry we missed it. A costume dog parade for Halloween. The costumes were magnificent. The dogs were well behaved. They didn't even need to clean up any poop. Well, the, the tradition has been revived because it was stopped all because of the uh, lockdown uh, uh, and the uh, mandates that were put into place. And now they're back. And everybody had a great time with all their dogs. Yeah, I think the best costume I saw was a dog uh, costume as a bodega cat, which was really cool. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And the dogs, it was contests. Did you see how many people were in Tompkins Square Park? Like, it, it was more people showed up to that event than anything anything otherwise so everyone wanted to see like that the dogs dressed up so it was actually really cool (laughs) and it it really it really is quite a comeback since the lockdown and pandemic of march of 2020 you've had the revival of the costume dog parades for halloween all throughout the tri-state area but the big one Tompkins square park and for animal lovers they can rejoice because the New York Cat and Dog Film Festival has returned. These are all films exclusively about dogs and cats, just like members of your own family who are listening oh. out there. Okay, and which is why there needs to be a really huge focus on this reality. People like you and me and everyone who has pets who consider them part of the family, this needs to be prioritized. There's a lot of things that should be happening, like the fact that you have uh, health insurance. It should include your pet. You shouldn't have to worry about paying for it out of pocket. 
Like, there's a lot of things that should include pets as families. And, you know, this is like the, the momentum that needs to happen. Everyone loves their animals. They are part of their family. This needs to be really recognized. You know, when you share with me the kill list that the shelters in New York City put out, they are basically saying within 72 hours these dogs and cats are going to be slaughtered, destroyed, euthanized. How many times do we read that the person that raised that dog or cat surrendered them and it was because they either couldn't afford to take care of them any longer or they had a medical issue or they couldn't pay for their apartment any longer and they had to part company with a member of their family? We got we got to stop this practice. You know what? And again, and that's what it is. So it's like if you work in conjunction with looking at this issue very logically, you have a lot of um, uh, existing nonprofit organizations out there that are working with animals, that are helping animals, that are saving animals. And the city, they just, there's no reason to fund them for what they're doing because they're not doing the right thing. So you can actually uh, allot those funds to all of these different outlets where people can, you know, either become aware of like these additional options or also you're pushing for these alternative sort of elements where, I mean, imagine if you had a pet that would be included in your health care right there. That's a game changer for everybody. Like anyone who works any job and the reason why they, they sort of stick with the job is because they have health care coverage. It makes a lot of sense. Why can't you cover your pet, your household pet, your family member under that coverage? That's a, a win-win for everybody because it means that people won't relinquish their pets. The animals are getting better care, and you're supporting an industry, veterinarians. So this is what needs to happen. You need to sort of start shifting to the reality of, of what most people are experiencing. Pets are family. Like, you have to get on board. Well, I will never forget the summer that I was running for mayor. We had a gathering outside of the animal shelter in East Harlem, a real dismal place. Oh, my God. We've been in there. We've seen the cats uh, meowing, stack on top of one another in their cages. We've heard the dogs barking. They can smell. They can smell the death chambers that are attached to the shelter. They know that their fellow dogs and cats and other animals are being gassed in the back. I mean, that's horror. And we were outside, and I'll never forget this Hispanic couple, young couple, they were surrendering two of their cats. They had it in a, a a box. They had made holes in it so the cats could breed. And the girl was crying. She did not want to surrender this cat. But they had no apartment. They were without an apartment, and they made the decision, well, that the shelter will take better care of the cat than we can. We, we don't even have shelter yet. And I told her, remember when I told her, Nancy? Yes. If, if nobody claims these cats in 72 hours... They will be destroyed. They will be euthanized. Yes. She was traumatized, and then I said, "We'll take them. Yes. We'll take them. Don't. Well, you're not. You're not giving them to the shelter. Uh, I mean, the likelihood is they'll probably be destroyed. Nobody's going to claim them, and we're not. I'm not going to allow that. And I remember a lot of people said, so many people surrender their animals because they don't have enough money to care for them." They've lost their job, the inflation, they've lost their apartment, they have medical issues. 
and they think the shelter is going to find a home of their own for their loved family member. They never tell them at the shelter, you know, if we can't find a place within a matter of days, we're going to have to destroy it. People would take it back, say, hell no, I'm not I'm not turning I mean, my friend in. Again, and the reality is, so the fact that the uh, city, the state, the, like, the allotment of funds that occurs, so there's a lot of things that happen where they're trying to keep, uh, you know, individuals in place with their family. They can do the same thing for animals, because money is being spent on the shelter system, which isn't doing things, you know, correctly. So all you have to do is just tweak the funding that you're doing and say, okay, well, if people, maybe they can't. I mean, talk about how you can create a rise in the industry. All, all this, uh, you know, talk about, oh, we're trying to create jobs and this and that. One of the biggest jobs that should be created in New York City, and, and I'm sure in every city across the United States, is veterinarians. It's like there's so many people who have pets, the reason why they can't afford to bring them there or the reason why they, you know, don't go until, you know, the the, the animal's on its last leg is because they feel like they can't afford it. That should change very quickly, and it could change very quickly if it was prioritized by any of these officials. It's not. Like, talk about an industry that should be bolstering so many people have animals. They're their family. They spend money on them. They're, they're falling into this, like, little abyss of, of nowhere. I mean, come on. they got to catch on board and, yeah. and make sure people don't have to lose their family members because they can't afford to do this basic yeah, no, stuff. Uh, like, this is unacceptable. And they don't, they don't ever tell them what's going to happen to those animals if they can't find yeah, a, a place right. uh, for the animal to stay. Anyway, we will go to the phone calls. I promise you that when we return. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. This is the Animal Welfare Edition here at WABC featuring Nancy, Animal uh, Rescuer Par Excellence. Head of the Guardian Angels Animal Protection Division. Our number is 1 800 848 9222. WABC. The Curtis Sliwa Show presents Curtis's Ark with Nancy Sliwa. Now, with Nancy Sliwa, here's Curtis Sliwa. Wow, Nancy, a uh, guy came in from our newsroom. He counted 32 separate stories about Moose, the hero dog who stood his ground to protect Jessica, the woman who had raised him in Park Slope, as he uh, fought off the assailant uh, in Prospect Park. That's an incredible number of stories. And still the city does nothing. But anyway, let's go to the phones. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Eddie in Babylon. Your turn to be heard here in the Animal Welfare Edition of WABC, Eddie. Thank you, Curtis. And I've, I've had dogs and cats, and uh, right now at a Brookhaven National Laboratory, we're working to make them live longer. Where, uh, you know, they they age seven times faster than we do. That's why we say, you know, a dog's life is seven years for every one one year we live. Uh, so they they've been doing research, and it's working out. Uh, it's it's proven that they're getting better, they're healthier, and they they can live maybe like as long as we do. 
Wow. Uh, now, uh, that's that's a big jump because uh, I tend to see that cats uh, maybe will live to about 16, dogs maybe 20. How, yeah, how, how much longer uh, do you think potentially they can live uh, through these uh, these uh, efforts uh, that are being taken? Well, we're, we're talking that uh, dogs and research and what in medicine we do research on dogs because dogs have the same physiology as we do. You know, they, the only thing they don't get is cardiovascular disease, but everything dogs are, they, they have almost the same DNA and everything that we do. So if we can slow down the aging process, maybe through antioxidants, through changing, you know, something that's going on in their body, we can have a dog for our whole life. It's like people that have a parrot. Now, now the do- the dogs that you're doing the testing on, like, are they um, like uh, free range dogs, or are they like uh, research dogs? Um, I didn't know you were there. Uh, I, I'm, I'm very honored that you're listening to this. <laughs> I am. Well, no, it's it, it's a canine. You know that. I mean, uh, but but is it in like a testing facility, or is it like you're just like monitoring like dogs that live in like normal dog scenarios? We, we, we're taking dogs from yes, uh, research, and we're also taking dogs in from you know people's families. Okay. And okay. Uh, they're 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 doing different things to see what um, what ages them. Okay. I, I think I think a lot of it is um, <clears throat> what we call oxidation. You know, in okay. people, antioxidants make you healthier. You look at uh, I don't know what uh, Joe Pisco talks about the uh, uh, age factor or something. I don't know what it is, but it's, it's got things in it that protect your cells and uh, makes them live longer. And you have uh, oh gosh, yeah, because yeah, I'm totally down with like like what you're saying. It's like um, introducing these things where they their like lifespan increases, but. I mean, I, I'm oh, just yeah. curious, like, so yeah. the, the dogs you're talking about, like, so if they live in, like, more of, like, a, is it, like, a natural sort of environment? Because obviously if they're, like, in a little bit of a different thing, like, I, I'm sure there's some element of they're not being in, like, a normal sort of household, so to speak, right? Like, do you think there's, like, stress levels that affect maybe their overall yeah. sort of prognosis? Oh. <laughs> Uh, absolute dogs are human, you know. In fact, yeah, my, uh, I know, right? <laughs> my 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 friends next door. I I have a uh, a fence, and I broke the picket. I put a uh, hinge on it so that Bella can. She barks in the morning, so that she picks it, <laughs> pick it up, and she barks until I get there, and she licks me. And sometimes I give her uh, uh, some liverwurst, and I pet her. But <laughs> dogs are, um, and they they go away. And they come back and they say, Bella missed her humans. Yeah. So uh, dogs like us, I say, they, they have the same physiology. But yeah. for some reason, they age seven times faster than we do. So it's something yeah. in the physiology. I, I, yeah. would, I would think, uh, Eddie, it might be the rapid rate of their heartbeat. Remember, when you've ever touched a dog, it seems their heart is beating much faster than a human. You can feel it. You can feel it in their ribs, right? Right. So I would think it's, because it's, it's, it's pounding, right? It's, it's pounding. working so hard 
that that might lead to uh, quicker deterioration. I don't know. I haven't studied this, but uh, I will tell you one thing about Joe Piscopo. You mentioned our colleague who was on Sunday nights, uh, 6 to 8. Uh, the, well, it's more than that. A lot of people don't realize in the 90s now, he was at the top of his career, Saturday Night Live with Eddie yeah, Murphy. I love, I love those kids. But he was diagnosed with thyroid cancer. Untreatable yeah. thyroid cancer. He thought that was it. It was. They were all telling him it's over, and he made up his mind to completely change his lifestyle. Every piece of food that he ate, he was now thinking, "What can I do to make my body healthier?" He was in the gym, the water he drank, the way he lit. He moved way out into the country. He no longer lived in the city. He lives way out there in New Jersey. And he had a tremendous recovery. Uh, you saw Jared Kushner, the uh, son-in-law of Donald Trump, had two operations for thyroid cancer already. Joe was able to recover by natural, holistic measures yeah. because he basically said, it's either that or I die. Yeah. That's incredible. So he needs uh, to be credited boy they, and you know let's face it he was a party animal him and eddie murphy oh forget it till the till the break of dawn uh eric adams would have a tough time the swagger man competing with them to, till the break of dawn and as joe told me he goes no an immediate change it was either i change my whole way of life what i eat i breathe i'm moving out to the country i'm going to have a wholesome lifestyle or i knew i was going to die I knew I was going to die. I, I totally agree with that. It's like it, it, once you start focusing on what you intake into your body, that's how quickly everything changes. You just have to be, I mean, you're the guardian to everything that comes into your body. So it, it really is that. Like you focus on it. You make sure you don't bring anything negative in. You, you really can get in control. It's like, yeah, so, you know, kudos to him. Yeah, well, that story needs to be told more and more, as you saw. Absolutely, yeah, 100%. With, with the death of our colleague, Bernard McGurk. In fact, just as a reminder, I know Nancy will be joining me 10 o'clock in the morning on Wednesday at St. Patrick's Cathedral. Uh, the Cardinal has uh, declared that that morning from about 10 to 12 will be there to commemorate Bernard McGurk. Uh, there will be family, friends, Radio listeners galore, you go to wabcradio.com at the very top. You just RSVP because obviously they have to cordon off seats there because they have so many people, tourists and others, who are coming into the cathedral. Very special day in honor of Bernard McGurk uh, this Wednesday. Uh, and, uh, boy, that was a big loss. He didn't get tested in time. He didn't get his PSA. It's a simple blood test, ladies and gentlemen. Sometimes the men in your life... Any of them who are 40-plus, it's a simple prick of the finger, a blood test that will let you know if they have to go for any further testing. should be done once a year, starting at the age of 40. The tougher the guy is, the less likely they are to be tested. Murney was as tough as they get. I waited too long. Rudy Giuliani waited too long, and we paid the price for that. And there are men out there right now who have never been tested. It could be percolating in their prostate as we speak. Force them, nag them, drag them. Simple blood test, prick of the finger. They smear it on a little glass, and they test it out. 
let Bernard McGurk's untimely death at 61 not be in vain. Let's go, if we can, to Robert calling from Suffolk. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Robert. Hi, Curtis and Nancy. I heard on the radio about Ryder, so I don't know if you heard uh, what I can update you with. Okay. Did you? Yes, no? Yes. Uh, no, yeah, yeah, Ryder passed away. Yeah, he was staying at Maple Farms. I believe that's okay. New Jersey. Okay. And he did not do well. He has health problems and maybe even injuries from the incident outside the park with the uh, driver. And Ryder went to uh, get veterinary care, and uh, he passed away within two, three weeks. In fact, Robert, just to recap for all of our listeners, Ryder was the uh, carriage horse that everyone saw, that viral video, a hot, sweltering day when he shouldn't have been out, neither should any of his colleagues have been out. Uh, they sometimes they, 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 they are restricted from bringing them out on those hot days. He was out halfway back to the stables on the west side after working a full day in Central Park, schlepping people from Iowa, Nebraska, Japan, and Germany around. He collapsed. And uh, the, the carriage uh, driver who actually owns them, they, they've been subcontracted, uh, so they actually own the horse, whipping them in the street. Get up, get up, get up. And it took the police coming to the aid of Ryder, dousing him with water and ice so he would not have survived uh, uh, the uh, dehydration and the suffering he had. Then they come to find out, Robin, they said he was 13, and a vet examined him and said, he's 23 years old. What are you? And then he looked at his body and said, this, this horse has had all kinds of abrasions, breaks, fractures. What the hell was he doing out there? And then all of a sudden, in the stables, all the drivers kept quiet. The TWU, Local 100, the union that's in charge of the motorman conductors, the maintenance people, the track workers in the subways, some of the bus workers, they are the ones who are the union in charge of these carriage drivers who are subcontracted. And it's like there's a few dozen of them. And they're the ones standing in the way of allowing these horses to enjoy the rest of their life on farms where they can frolic, they can play. This is what horses do. And we replace them with electric carriages like they've been replaced in almost all the major cities of the world. This is a double disgraziata. This is a double shanda. Ryder passed away from injuries incurred over the years. They lied to everybody, Nancy. They said he was 13 when in reality he was 23 and badly injured over the years. And they brought him out every day to schlep those tourists from Nebraska and Iowa and Germany and Japan around uh, Central Park. That's unconscionable. Anyway, uh, Nancy, if people want more information about what the Guardian Angel Animal Protection Program does that you're the head of, how can they contact you? Uh, you can vis- uh, visit the website uh, guardianangels.org or email me directly, nancy at guardianangels.org. Very good. And uh, when we return, the barrier. Between me and the Mama Luke Frank Morano, Dominic Carter. And oh boy, 
I got a little piece of my mind that I want to give to Dominic Carter, who then can convey it to Frank Morano and his crew, his McWhitey Whitey crew here. And we'll take you from one to five early this morning. WABC. Dominic Carter, you have a relationship with Eric Adams, a swagger man with no plan. Good evening, good evening. Why are you looking at me like well, that? Well, because you are like, I, I hear that promo, I'm, I'm my boy, you know, right? Well, what does he call you? Here, here I'm a man. Here right? we go, here we go. But I want you to do a, a solid, he won't listen to me. But this study that came out by the Surgeon General's office that people who sleep five hours or less a night face higher risk of multiple health problems as they age. He's 61 years old. If you listen to him, he works early. He's up early. There's no doubt about that. He's not like the last mayor. <laughs> be lucky if that guy got up uh, before. How's he going to be a professor at NYU? He he won't get to NYU until about 12 noon. <laughs> you see Bill de Blasio? He's walking around Park Slope. The big story, he used Clairol. He's got brown hair now. Yes, I, I've seen it. God. It doesn't look natural. But anyway, you caused me to digress. So this, uh, I, this is an offering to say to Eric Adams, you can't burn the candle at both ends. you got to get at least five hours of sleep. That's what you want me to tell him? Yeah, because remember, according to him, he only gets four hours of sleep. And I don't even think he gets that because I have him tracked from the Club Zero Bond. You know, i got my rats there. He generally leaves about 2.30, 3 o'clock in the morning takes you a little bit of time to get wherever he's staying. He doesn't always stay at Gracie Mansion. He stays uh, at the Trump Tower, you know, the 90 stories building that's right across from the United Nations. People see him. He's not trying to hide. Goes in there. I don't know what the hell he does. In, in uh, what He has a residence there? I mean. I don't know. Maybe you could find out. You're a good mm. gumshoe reporter. He goes in and out of there like he owns the joint. He doesn't hide. You know, it's very obvious. But point is. Okay, let's say he goes to sleep at 3, 3.30. Okay. He's always up by 6.30, 7, the latest. That's only three and a half hours of sleep. Now, I would say, unless he's getting a little boost while he's at the Club Zero Bond, whatever happens at the Club Zero Bond stays at the Club Zero Bond, a little toot. Look, a lot of those hedge fund monsters, Wall Street, uh, you know, the Wall Street traders, that's why they join these private clubs, because they can get a little toot, you know, a little energy. Well, Adderall. Adderall will also do that. That's a prescription drug, but they're running out of that, the FDA says. So I, I'd like you to say I'm, we want him to live a long, healthy life. It can't be partying till the break of dawn and then be up at 6.30 and out the door by 7. That's impossible without some assistance. Yeah, I, I don't know what his schedule is. I haven't talked to him in a while. Um, I don't know. I don't know how much sleep he's getting. Uh, I would hope that it's more than uh, five or six hours. Whew. I would hope. How much sleep do you get? Well, that's a problem for me. You know I don't get much. I got to worry about that too, right? <laughs> <laughs> Boy, you know this good reporter, he switched it right on me, right? Well, I don't toot. 
In fact, that's what I would do. You know, there was uh, this famous congressional race. I was down in Atlanta at the time during a rape crisis with the Guardian Angels. The great John Lewis. And uh, he was running against uh, Julian Bond, the first black to be elected to the state legislature. And they were brothers in solidarity during the civil rights years. Man, you were in Georgia. You had a lot of trouble. It's not like now with Reverend Warnock and Herschel Walker. Back then, you couldn't have even imagined a black man or black woman running for U.S. Senate and governor. I mean, imagine that. So they're running for the congressional district in Atlanta. And naturally, Julian Bond, he's a patrician. You know, he's upper class. John Lewis, down with the peeps. The Atlanta Constitution Journal said that right before the last debate, it was neck and neck, like Herschel Walker and Warnock. Now it's a toss-up. Who do you think is going to win, by the way? I think Herschel will win. I think so, too. I think he had a good performance. And then there's Oz and Fetterman. Their debate is Tuesday night. That's a toss-up. I think Fetterman's going to win that one. I think Oz will win. Okay. And then we have, who knew this, that all of a sudden, Congressman uh, Zeldin is going to debate Hochul, New York one. Yeah. I would yeah. not have advised him to do that. He's doing too well. He doesn't need the debate. Doesn't need the but, but anyway. But, but he has everything to win. I'm going to make the case for that coming up in just a couple of minutes. But Congressman Lewis, at the end of the debate, right before the end, the last 10 minutes, turns to his very dear friend, the state senator, Julian Bonney. He's been in the trenches, right? Been in the foxhole. When the white separatists, the uh, Ku Klux Klan, beating them, you know, trying to kill them. And he says, I have here my drug test. Julian, are you willing to take a drug test? This is lifelong friend. Because the rumor was that Julian was tooting, and he was. And the guy fell apart after that emotionally. He, he couldn't deal with that, that his friend did that publicly to him. He, would, he eventually, I think, had some rehab that he did. Wow. He was a great man. I got to meet him. I got to meet John Lewis. Both of them great men. We cannot imagine what they had to go through. Uh, I just felt that that was like the lowest of the low. But then again, why don't you ask the mayor to take a drug test? I'll take a drug test. Well, you keep alluding to certain things. What are you trying to say? When you belong to a private club, whatever happens behind those closed doors stays behind those closed doors. French Montana, he's hanging out with. You know, he's a Coke boy. You know, the rapper got shot in the head for a kilo of Coke. I Look, I want to help the mayor. I want him to live a long, prosperous life. I've seen too many people, you know, do it bull. Don't do cocaine. But toots, little energy boost. Drink